Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Ladies of the CFRA Nation, today I call upon you. Today I want to hear specifically from the ladies of the CFRA Nation because we keep being told that liberals stand up for women, and yet on two issues right now, you know what the liberals are doing? They're making women look bad. They're making women look weak. They're making it sound as if, well, if we don't have special rules and special things, then women just can't do things. And I reject that. I don't know about you. But I reject the idea that women need special treatment. I reject it for, well, employment. I reject it for... Running businesses, women are competent. Women have what it takes. Isn't that what we're supposed to believe? And yet, we've got Sophie Trudeau saying, oh, life is just so hard and I need extra help. I need a team in order to be able to serve. A key point, one noted by our friend Manny on Twitter, is that Sophie Trudeau didn't say she needed an extra assistant. Sophie Trudeau didn't say she needed two extra assistants. I feel like the count in Sesame Street. One extra assistant. Ha, ha, ha. Two. No, she said she needs a team. Une équipe. A team. What's a team? Does she need a hockey team? That's what? It's got to be at least 18, 20 people. How many on a football team? Anybody tell me? Did they dress 55? Does she need that many people? Because here's the truth, folks. Here's the truth about Sophie Trudeau. She already has a team. She has a team that runs her life. In addition to the personal assistant that is apparently not enough, she also has two nannies. Do you have two nannies paid for by the government? She has a a chef. She has a kitchen staff to cook for. Imagine how much free time you'd have if you didn't have to worry about preparing meals ever. Not for you, not for your kids, not for your guests. It's all taken care of. Don't worry. All right. What about looking after the kids? Well, the two nannies looking after the food, the chef, the kitchen crew. What about looking after the house? Well, there she's got a lot of help. There is a household manager, just like Stephen Harper had, just like Paul Martin had. The official residence has a household manager who's in charge of running everything. So she doesn't have to worry about making sure the bills are paid, and she doesn't pay them anyway. She doesn't have to look after making sure that the right cable package is there. In fact, they're not allowed. That's a story for another day that... Involves Stephen Harper trying to order the hockey package and being told he's not allowed. There's also two house cleaners. So, oh, wait, I'm not done yet. But let's just recap and then I'll add to it. So she's got a personal assistant, a chef and kitchen staff. She's got a household manager, two house cleaners, two nannies. Uh, Hold on. Am I going to run out of fingers soon? Because that's as high as I can count. Uh, Let's see, personal assistant, household manager, two housekeepers, two nannies. She's got the the chef, 
Then there's the car and driver. Okay, so we're up to at least eight, if not more. Then, then we've got what else? We've got the security detail. She has a team. She, she's driven everywhere she wants to go. There's a security detail looking after her and her children, which is as it should be. But she says it's too much. She needs an equip. She needs a team. Do you think she needs one? Do you need a, a team to look after your family? Do you need a team to help you serve people? It's a little tone deaf in my view. If I had a team of eight people running my life, I could do all kinds of things. And as someone who's worked with a team that's had assistance before and doesn't now, you can be far more productive when you've got people you can just delegate things to, where you don't have to worry about the small things. You can focus in on the big picture. You can focus in on the essence of your job. You can be much more effective. But do you have eight people running your life? Probably not. If you did, could you do that much more? Sophie Trudeau, in my view, makes, makes women seem weak. It really does come off as, oh, poor little me, I can't handle it. Let me say this. If she is that busy that she needs the extra assistance, Let's say she wants to live high on the hog like that other Montrealer, Mila Mulroney, because everyone will point out, well, the Conservatives did this. Mila Mulroney had three. Maureen McTeer didn't have three assistants. Aileen Cretchen didn't have three assistants. Sheila Martin didn't have three assistants. What else? Lorraine Harper didn't have three assistants. I'm being told I forgot the groundskeeper as well. That's right. You don't even have to do any outdoor work where she lives. So we're probably up to nine, ten people by now as her team. But she says she needs more. And the liberals will point to Mila Mulroney. That's right. Let's use the example of an, uh, another out-of-touch, elitist mo- uh, Montrealer that doesn't have any idea how common people live. Let's use that. I say that if she needs more, if she needs her equip, if she needs her team, then let the Liberal Party pay for it. Because I'll tell you this, the beneficiaries of Sophie Trudeau going out and doing all these public events, it's not you, it's not me, it's not the Canadian public, and it's not the government of Canada. It is Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party. So they should pay for it. Now that's one instance where I think it makes women look bad. And so ladies of the CFRA nation, I want to hear from you. And we're going to open up the phone lines now. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-2372. There's one area where I think liberals are making women look bad. It makes them look weak. But then we've got Miriam Monsef. I know most of you can't remember her name. And even after I tell you, you'll say you can't remember her name. This is the Minister of Democratic Institutions who's been reading children's stories to lull us to sleep as she tries to explain why we need to change our electoral system. That's what she sounds like. But she also says things that makes it sound as if you ladies out there are just too simple to be able to vote under the current system. Because one of the reasons she says we need to change it 
and consult with people on how to change it from first past the post is because we need to engage people that aren't normally engaged, such as you ladies. But I've yet to hear from him or his colleagues on how a referendum could help us hear from those who don't traditionally engage in the democratic process. Like young people, women, indigenous persons, those with disabilities and exceptionalities, those living in the remote and rural regions of this country. Hmm. Huh. Apparently you ladies can't engage in the democratic process. You need special help. That from Miriam Monsef, Minister of Democratic Institutions. The more I hear from her and her lame ability to explain the need for democratic reform, for electoral reform, the more I'm convinced that she is one of the people that shouldn't have been in cabinet but got in because of the geographic gender needs of the prime minister, not based on her merit. There are women in the cabinet that deserve to be in there based on their merit. I hoped she was one of them. Like I said before, I think she's got a great backstory, but she can't sell something. I've talked to men and women that can sell the issue of democratic reform and electoral reform. She can't do it. But you ladies, apparently you just you can't engage in the in the electoral process without special help. So I want to hear from you this morning. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Call now. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. Is Sophie Antoinette worth the the extra help? Ladies at the CFRA Nation, I want to hear from you. Is Sophie Antoinette worth the extra help? Does she need a bigger team than she already has of, we've counted at least 9 to 10 people, once you include the groundskeepers. So ladies, what do you think? Do you need that? Do you have that much help? Can you get that much help? And by the way, as uh, Sophie Antoinette is in... Ottawa or in Quebec complaining about needing more help. Her husband is flying to Fort McMurray today where 88,000 people were uh, dislocated and where uh, thousands, thousands of mothers are sleeping in gyms with their children and probably complaining less. Melanie in Canada, does Sophie need more help? Um, I don't know that she needs more help, um, but I don't have an issue with her asking for help. I'm a mom of four kids under the age of nine Mm -hmm. and you know asking for help doesn't make her weak um i don't think it makes her less of a mom or less of a woman um neither do i but i think it's tone deaf we we've we've got people like yourself you've got four kids a demanding life i'm sure very she has a, a full team already looking after all the elements how how different would your life be if you didn't have to do groceries, clean the house, pay the bills, uh, look after the, the outside. <laughs> if you didn't have to do anything but walk in the door, how different would your life be? I'd probably be single. <laughs> it, um, it's, it, I, I mean, that, that, that's her reality already. Plus, she's got this personal assistant just to look after her business, which she doesn't really have a business. Right. And so, you know, asking for help. And if she needs or she feels that she needs the help, um, then by all means for her to ask for it. But I don't think that we should be on the hook for paying for it. Um, I think the liberals should. Absolutely. 
you know, if I have um, a young woman who comes in and helps me a couple days a week uh, with my children because my husband works odd hours um, and it's, it's not cheap, but I need the help to get, you know, one child to a dance practice or one child to swimming lessons, but you, you pay for it. Mm-hmm. So, and nobody pays for it for me. I'd love well, if somebody would make a donation, but it's what <laughs> you know you need to do. And if we can't afford it, then the kids don't do certain activities. You you make those allowances, you make those sacrifices. Yeah, well, they used to pay for the nannies when they made a lot less, and then uh, they doubled Justin Trudeau's salary because he became prime minister. He got the house, he got all this extra staff, took away all kinds of expenses while doubling his salary, and then they put the nannies on the public payroll. It's right. It's just an entitlement culture that bothers me. Thanks for the call, Melanie. Thank you. All right, let's go to uh, Linda in Pembroke. Yes, good morning. Morning. Yes, I'd like to say, uh, no, I think uh, I think she's uh, her life is very privileged, and I she's not in touch with the rest of us, obviously. There's just been 90,000 people evacuated out of a Fort McMurray. They're sleeping in gyms. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if you want to have a lifestyle like she's, what it's looking like to me is that maybe she thinks she's the Queen of England or something. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't identify with anybody that's that out of touch with reality. You know something, Brian? Um, no, I, I, feel... I do agree with Melanie saying, you know, she wants to ask for help because she feels she needs it. That's fine, but... Don't don't ask us to. No, to, why should to pay. We, 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 We're already paying for a full team. Yes, they could run two lines of a hockey game based off the team she has already. She oh, wants a goodness. third line. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, the thing is, uh, I just don't like the way that they're so out of touch with reality. You know, something. The last time I checked, if everybody else is always with your children all the time, that almost sounds like foster care. Hello. I don't know that it's foster care, but it is. It is uh, a different way of doing things and, and not one that I'm used to. Exactly. Right. And, and how are your children ever going to really know well, you she, if you're never look, there? I, I think she's there. I oh, don't well. think that she's she abandoned. They, yeah. You see them out with the kids all the time. I'm yeah, not going to well. criticize their parenting well, skills. They the seem well involved. But let's just say that if she needs the extra help, the Liberal Party can pay for it. She exactly. already has a team. Thanks for the call, Linda. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you want to have your say uh, and contact the Prime Minister's office, the email is pm at pm.gc.ca, pm at pm.gc.ca. The phone number there, 613-992-4211. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580CFRA. How big is your team? Hmm? How big is the team that looks after your life? How big is the team that makes sure that your bills are paid, that the grounds are looked after, that your children are looked after, that the meals are ready? We've counted up nine to ten people being there for Sophie Trudeau, but she says she needs a bigger team. Should should that be you and I that give her that? Should that be the Liberal Party? Do you... Do you think that it is up to the taxpayers to make her life cushy, to keep her tushy cushy? Is that our job? 521-TALK, 521-8255, and I'm especially putting out a call to the ladies of the CFRA Nation. If you're a dude, yeah, we'll talk to you, so Scott, we'll get to you. But really, 
looking to hear what the ladies of the CFRA Nation have to say. So uh, let's check in with Carol in Ottawa. Carol, how big's your team? Well, I don't have a team, but I think you're being a little bit hard on her, to tell you the truth. I think that she is the Prime Minister's wife. Yeah. Um, I think that she is entitled to certain things. And I think if, you know, there's a lot of executive women out there who have nannies, and there's a lot of people out there who have drivers. For God's sakes, we have the mayor being driven around the city all day long. I, I don't I don't begrudge her any of that. I'm saying what I'm saying, Carol, is she has a team already and well, she has a team that comes with she has a team that comes with that appointment. And everybody who who was previous to that had groundskeepers, had cooks. So so yep. let's forget about that. That comes with it. But you know, to to be after her about nannies, like really, I I think that you know every woman, if you have four or five kids in this country, you get about eight or nine hundred dollars family allowance check. So the last caller who called in and said that she gets a uh, she she doesn't get her help or paid for. Well, you know, your eight or nine hundred dollars that you get in family allowance, maybe you should put towards a little bit of childcare. So you know, I, I mean, I I think that certain certain roles. That's what comes with it. And, well, they, they, you know, I don't Carol, think on her. Carol, I'm I'm picking on on her saying that she needs more help than the nine to ten people she already has. And, well, and, and hold on, hold on, her. hold okay. on, hold on. Let me finish. I let okay. you speak freely. She had, and yes, Lorene Harper had this as well. Guess what? They had two young children. When they moved into Twenty Four Sussex Drive. They didn't stick the public with the cost of nannies. The Trudeaus paid for their nannies out of their own pocket when they made half the money that they do now and while they had far more expenses because we provide all these things now because he's prime minister. And that's fine. You're right. It comes with the job. But to turn around, dump two nannies on the public payroll and then say, I need more help even than that and want it to come from the public as well is a bit rich. If she wants it, the Liberal Party, which will be the main beneficiary of all their public appearances, they can pay for it, not me. Well, we're how, all how is that? How is that? Pi- how is that picking on Sophie? Well, because you know what, I I think that she's out there in the world representing Canada, whether we like so it or not. So did Lorreen Harper. Well, I didn't she see was her very as active. much as I thought Sophie. So well, you know, it maybe because the media is obsessed with the Trudeaus in rather creepy ways. I, I don't know about that. I just think, you know what, the statement that says it makes women look weak, I don't think it makes women look weak at all. I agree with the caller last time. If she's asking for help and she needs the help, then well, then that's great for her. But, you know, there's a lot of executive women out there with nannies and cooks and drivers. I mean, half of Toronto lives like that. Uh, so, actually, no. I, I remember speaking to John Tory years ago, and John Tory, before he was mayor, was an executive mm-hmm. who drove himself to work running a major, major media company, he told me that there's more cars and drivers in Ottawa than on Bay Street. Well, you know, I... But let let me ask you one other question, because I I did ask two parts about women saying, I think liberals are making women look weak. Do do you vote, Carol? Are you able to figure out how to vote in an election? Do I vote? I didn't vote liberal. No, I didn't ask Uh, you vote liberal. I said, are you you able to figure out how to vote now in the system that we have? Because... You you can't. Well, you know what? I, well, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I the minister says we've got to be doing special outreach to women because women aren't engaged in politics. And I thought, well, half the cabinet's women, and I know an awful lot of women who are very engaged in politics. Well, 
Well, maybe there's a lot that aren't. I mean, the, the, did you ever find out where she she came up with that statement or if there was background to that statement? Uh, or do we uh, just go out and, and start criticizing people for what they say? So maybe she has a group of people that she's spoken to that has no idea about voting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I need to go back and play more uh, extended clips of Miriam Monsif because lots of reporters, men and women, were asking her questions the other day, trying to find out what she meant, and she she just offered platitudes, no facts. Thanks for the call, right. Carol. Okay. Let's go to Michelle in Ottawa. Michelle, you're Wait. on Beyond the News. Good morning. I was in such a great mood, and then I heard Carol. I cannot believe that. Does she not understand that they're they're very wealthy? If Sophie needs more help, then dip into the family bank account. We don't have to pay for it. It's insane. What's a sense of entitlement? Listen, I they, was in they such are a million. They are millionaires. Yeah, so. Too bad for them, isn't that sad? Listen, my first question was going to be how many calls am I allowed to make this morning? Because it's such a great topic. And if I change my voice, would you allow me if I called back with different accents? Because I could have fun with this all day long. But Carol's a downer. Listen, um, hey, we, I, I we welcome all opinions here on Beyond the News. <laughs> well, it's, it's but bad mostly enough mine. to admit if you voted for him, but who the hell voted for her? And what does she need more time for? To write songs? To sing to people who don't want to hear it? This exaggerated sense of her self-importance is just so, is, is very, uh, it's very, it's insufferable. It's, who, who, how many, how much, I can remember cutting the lawn with one child in a playpen while I had a stew on the oven and the other one I was carrying on my back and I managed to get the car wash, cut the grass, come in, have dinner made, do the laundry, hang the clothes. My God, you know what? And I was happy to do it because I enjoyed it. That was wonderful. I can't even imagine getting up and having somebody make me a coffee. My clothes, they're clean. My kids all looked after. Really, come on. How pathetic are we? We didn't vote for her, okay? And the only help she needs is professional. And this self-entitlement here, it's just, it's, it's setting up a culture. Like, I would love for older women to call in and just explain what their days were like because our days are so simple and we hardly suffer at all. And it's just gimme, 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 and I need more. And you know what? I'm going to be a little bit mean here, but I think, I don't even think she's as pretty as everybody rants and raves about. When I see her, I picture her green. She looks like Fiona. Oh. Well, she's, she has the same face. I mean, I, and I can't... I, let's I can't not think... get into looks, Michelle. Okay, let's not. Let's not get into looks. But... If you want to talk about looks, you've got a very strong, beautiful, competent woman across the floor. What do you think Rona Ambrose's day is like? And how many people does it take to put her together and get her out the door to show up for her engagements? It's insane. You need more help than pay for it yourself. You have a very, very entitled life. You should enjoy every moment of it. And it's wonderful that you're going around. But if you can't be happy and pull it together, there is absolutely no hope for any of us. All right. Thanks for the call, Michelle. You're welcome. Right, let's go to Eudora calling in. Uh, what number? Number five. Eudora, you're on Beyond the News. Yes, I I disagree. We should not have to pay for any more help for her. Did um, Martin's wife had extra help? She had two small kids, too. Uh, I mean, Paul, she's Paul got... Martin? No, no. Paul Martin's kids were all grown. Stephen Harper's. Harper, that's the Stephen one I'm Harper. Paul, Paul Martin's kids were all grown. They had a martini bar, and they used to have it. was very different. I, I was never over for that, but I, I understand it was a very different 24 Sussex than, than what the Trudeaus have and what the Harpers have. I am saying he should pray for it. His salary was raised because he became become a PM. He should pay for anything else his wife had, not us. 
And going on another subject when they talk about people don't vote, if you ever stand at a voting station, like I have volunteer at a, a voting station, mm-hmm. when a disabled person come in with their mother or an attendant, they do not want them to have help to vote. I always fight with them. I said, my child is challenged. Yes, she's going to vote or shut the station down. And then what they should be doing, not saying that women don't understand politics. When you get seniors or disabled in the community, find out who they are. The day of voting, go to them, pick them up, take them there and take them back. But people don't understand when you become a senior, mm-hmm. you've got challenges, you need help. And then they're talking about baby bonus and stuff like that. When our kids were, were young like the kids now, Baby bonus wasn't as much as it is now. Think my and mother you didn't used get to get it for a long period of time. I think my mother used to get about thirty dollars a month or something for each of us. I told a woman that yesterday, and she said, "Oh, I don't believe you." I said, "Yes," and because I was a nurse and I also worked in the federal government, I got it for two months because I was making too much. We, my mother is an adult; she's still disabled. I don't get any help. I'm doing everything myself. Well, you you need to just tell Sophie that you need a team, Eudora. I think that's what it comes down I to. Think, I don't think that my taxes should be paying for her team. Let the Liberal Party pay for it. If she wants something, get Sophie, get everything you need, everything you think you need, everything you want. Thanks. But pay for it yourself. You're wealthy and your husband has got an extra raise. Do it yourself. Thanks for the call, Eudora. Quite welcome. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. 521 Talk, 521 star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm specifically asking the ladies of the CFRA Nation about this today. Let's go to uh, Eileen in uh, in Ottawa. Eileen, how big is Hi, your team? Uh, no, and I don't, I don't have any team, and I don't think that um, Sophie should be have you know, a larger team than she already has. Well, well, she can buy tax. Yeah, she can have it if she wants it, but that's right. Okay, yes, you, you, pay, for you, it you pay for it yourself, or or yeah. have the party pay for it. Yeah. Now, Brian, mm-hmm. you have such urgent and important issues put forward. If I may, I would really like to talk about the March for Life that you, we had yesterday because you, I, 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 I totally talked about it a lot. I talked about it a lot yesterday. We had a couple of interviews. I was out and I didn't uh, get a chance to hear anything it, about it. But I'd like it, to it's online, but you what, can go go, go quick on that. But uh, th- there were some violent uh, protests that that changed the route of the march, which is unfortunate. But Christy Cameron was out reporting on that. Okay, see, I didn't hear any of that, but it just seems so unfair and um, actually unjust and immoral to be able to have um, a riotous group interrupt uh, an organized, orderly, peaceful rally. You know, we had all the permits, and to have it, you know, delayed for three-quarters of an hour and then cut short and, you know... I just feel that. Well, look, that the, the, this this is a threat to our democracy. Like I really felt that our democracy was threatened by the, them being no, able to. No, no, no. I, I I disagree. I disagree. And you know where I stand on this issue, Eileen. But I disagree. 
the they're allowed to protest as well. And I will say that the police were very good to the March they, for Life yesterday. They, are, they tried they to keep to everyone come. separated and they they shut down as soon as they got violent. They shut down the counter protesters. Uh, we can't have it so that, well, you can only protest on this day and uh, they can protest on that day. What if you wanted to go and, and have a protest to protest what they were rallying for? Should you not be allowed because they're having a rally? Should you no, be told you can't show separate. up? I think it should be separate. Well, no, that that would be wrong. That would be limiting free speech, and I'm never going to be for that because really, who's going to lose on that? The pro-life side. They will be shut down faster than you can blink if if we allow that to happen. Thanks for the call. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Ladies of CFRA Nation, what do you think? In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, I asked the ladies to call and they are responding. Hello, ladies. Let's go to Darlene in Ottawa. Darlene, you're on Beyond the News. How big is your team? (laughs) I raised two sons on my own. They went Mm -hmm. to university, both of them, and uh, I was a team of one, worked full-time, and uh, that was my team, and it still is my team zero. I think it's, uh, to be serious, I think it's a real shame, because uh, what does she give in return? What I've seen, you know, it's zero, and he, well, I, I think that she does help charities, and I, I'm not going to uh, denigrate the work that she's going to do, but primarily the beneficiaries of her work and her public appearances would be the image of herself and her husband, which helps not the Canadian public, but the Liberal Party. Well, then the Liberal Party should pay for it, not we taxpayers. And I also believe that it's already a done deal. She's got her team just as when she um, wanted her nannies. It was an afterfact that we were told, I believe, you know, we're paying for that, the increase in his salary. And, you know, Brian, it triggered something about Justin's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. What was that? He was always so cheap and crafty. I remember uh, where he would go for lunches and dinners with his, uh, colleagues, friends, but he never had any money to pay. Oh, I'll get it next time, you know? <laughs> and uh, so he'd have free meals along with all the other freebies. It really is disgusting what they are doing to Canada, and I don't believe either one of them have offered anything of significance. And as for Justin... Just the opposite, torn right. Canada completely apart. Thanks for the call, darling. Okay, take care. Going quickly to Josie in Toronto. Josie, how big is your team? I don't have a team. My cousin has three children here in Ontario, and I have a concerned grandmother, my aunt, always concerned about her daughter 
that she's able to make time and attention to her three children. And I'm going to go one step further. Uh, 80,000 people in Fort McMurray don't have homes. They're walking around with the clothes on their backs, with no diapers for their babies, and all I hear this woman do is whine. It's disgraceful. Uh, you know, if she, her husband is a millionaire. I, I, okay, I get it, okay? I, I get it, and I think other Canadians get it, too. But if you want these extra frills, pay for it yourself instead of acting like a, a government freeloader. That, that's my problem with it, Jesse. That Jessie. is my problem. That is the problem with my Facebook friends in Ontario and Alberta. We are very upset about this, and I have made a complaint to my MP, Carolyn Bennett, here in Toronto. I have yet to receive a response here in Toronto from my MP, Dr. Carolyn Bennett. They don't care because they don't want to hear the honesty from voters and taxpayers who are stuck with these bills. And frankly, I don't want to listen to this woman whine. <laughs> Thanks. Really. Uh, not with 80,000 people without homes. And I saw this poor father uh, with his son with no diapers, for God's sake. Yeah. And this woman is, is complaining about not having enough time, and yet she Com- has two nannies. Completely tone deaf. Two, two housekeepers. This, this is out of control. We- Th- thanks. we got to wrap it there, Josie. Thanks so much. If you want to call and complain to the Prime Minister's office, be polite, but at 613-992-4211. You want to join here? It's 521-TALK. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Now, some people think I'm being mean to poor Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. For pointing out that she already has a team that is uh, beyond what any of us could ever imagine. The estimate is 9 to 10. And I'm saying that if she wants more assistance, she should pay for it themselves herself or have the liberal party pay for it she has a personal assistant that's fine she has a lot of official functions to go to but she also has two nannies two housekeepers a household manager a driver a security detail groundskeepers so i'm asking the ladies of the cfra nation what do you think some people are telling me i'm wrong some people were calling during the break and and denouncing me as picking on poor sophie and picking on liberals and that's mean but they wouldn't go on air Hmm. Hmm. So I'm asking the ladies of CFRA Nation, am, am I wrong or is Sophie wrong? Do you think she should pay for it herself? Whether she has the extra help or not, I don't care. But I don't want to be paying for extra help for a woman who her family, they're millionaires already. He's just inherited the rest of the his father's estate that's been doled out for the last several years. So they're set for life. Plus, he makes $330,000 a year. Plus, they have free housing, free food, all of that. And now they're asking for more and saying she needs a team? My dear, you have a team already. Judith in Peterborough. Let's go to Judith. Yeah, uh, Brian, I th- it, what this is called is the golden spoon syndrome. Uh, <laughs> the, honest to God, these two young people are too immature 
Um, you've got Justin, who is running around taking selfies of himself, doing one-arm push-ups in front of handicapped vets. You've got uh, uh, this young lady who's probably never had to think of anything except herself. And it, it's, it's a sin. <laughs> Honestly, I'm telling you, this is embarrassing. And I'm surprised that she's not embarrassed about this. But what can I say? It's, it's the golden spoon syndrome. So you, you don't care, I'm guessing, whether she has one personal assistant or eight. You just don't want to pay for it. Well, I, I don't... I, I think that she should be doing a lot more than what she is on her own, and uh, but but she's unca- she's not capable of doing this because she's never had to do anything. Uh, she was a television presenter before. Well, gee, then why can't she? Oh, uh, it's just so bloody frustrating, Brian. Honest to God, I'm telling you, it's an embarrassment. They're very immature, the both of them, and I think it's time the both of them grew up. And he learned how to, and she's, she's got to follow in his footsteps if he ever does grow up. And this is not going to happen. It might take the four years if it ever does, but it's a very embarrassing situation. Well, if anybody wants to call the prime minister's office, uh, just well, try be, to get through. Be polite if you call and let your well, voice be heard, Well, I took the number though. down. 992-4211. Yep, yep. Obviously, area code 613. Let me ask you that you keep saying that they are immature. And I was speaking with somebody yesterday who didn't realize that Stephen Harper was about 46 when he was elected prime minister, only two years older than what Justin Trudeau is. And they said, yeah, but he doesn't he he seemed more mature. Justin and I are the same age. We're 44. We're middle aged men, for goodness sakes. Ted Cruz is a year older than both of us. Stephen Harper was two years older than Justin was when he was elected, but and yet you're right. He seems like a very – he seems young because he – not because he's youthful. I, I, I think there is an immaturity in there. De- now, Stephen Harper was criticized because he was too mature. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but I mean, but you're, you're looking at someone who, as I said, the golden spoon syndrome who – he. I don't think there will ever be any growing up there. What's the point of growing up? You've got all this money. You've got all this, this press. You've got all this. Now, the young people, they love it. But us older folks are pretty disgusted. Thanks for the call, Judith. Let's go to Chantel in Ottawa. Chantel, am I, am I wrong, or, or, or do you think Sophie should look after her own team? Apparently, we lost Chantel. We'll put her on hold to see if she comes back. Uh, let's see who's next. Gloria. Gloria. How big's your team, Gloria? Oh, just thousands. <laughs> you got thousands um, looking after you? Unfortunately, they're, 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 they're all on strike. <laughs> uh, so I've lost them all. Oh, um, dear. I got to come down to earth now, don't I? <laughs> but, so do, do you care if she has more help, or is it just a matter of paying for it? Listen. Both. The thing is, I'd like to know well, what what universe she uh, Sophie is living in, because she needs to come down to earth. And I find that this is an elitist, privileged attitude going on here. You know, she's she's really out of touch because the reality is a huge number of women in Canada they work either a, f- a full time or a part time job, and they run their household by themselves if they can't afford to pay for the hired help. And 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 n- now we're finding that poor Sophie just thinking about it, I guess she she's tired, so she needs another assistance. 
assistant, I should say. The thing is, as long as the Trudeaus pay for it themselves, hire all the assistants they want. But I think what we're dealing with here, too, with what I like to call um, Trudeau ego syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's not catchy because as far as I know, there's, there's no cure for it. Thanks for and the call. liberal, too. Thank you. Let's Bye. go to uh, Michelle in Beacon Hill. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm well. How big is your team? Well, the the players on my team, I have seven minor players on my team and two major league players on my team. You got um, seven kids? I do have seven kids. Excellent. Yes. And so we have part-time, we have a part-time uh, assistant that comes in. Her name is my mother-in-law. Okay. And she comes yeah. in a, a couple of days a week, and she helps me wrangle them all while we go and do stuff. That That's the same name. I, I wonder if it's the same person. That's the same name of the assistant that Loreen Harper had to right. look after it's, the kids. It's crazy. She's very, very busy, and um, she has her own life, too, so she comes and helps every once in a while. The other part, the other person on my team is, of course, the other participant in the team, which is my husband. And... Um, we seem to be able to homeschool our kids. My husband goes to work. They're all fed. My house is reasonably clean, although if she wants to send over her one of her maids, I'm I'm grateful well, for that. And you're only in Beacon Hill. It's not far. It's Exactly. It's I mean, they could practically far. get on their bikes and walk because of the green energy thing. Personally, I think that this <laughs> – I personally think that this is their own per- – you know, they said they were going to create jobs. I think that this is their job creation plan. It could be. You know, they they and, and they're very – socialists so they want everybody on the uh, on the, the dole so they want everybody to be paid for by the government so they're coming up with a work plan that everybody can go work at the tr- with the trudeaus and everybody will have a job and everybody will be happy and we'll all have to do yoga all day <laughs> it does sound like a, a a lovely life doesn't it it does sound like a lovely life so <laughs> if she wants to send her cook over or her or her maid or even a house manager i mean i'll, I'll take any of those people at any yeah. given time even part-time but yes, I think it's getting a little ridiculous if she wants. I mean, I managed to be able to homeschool, run a business, run my house, feed my kids, do all the stuff that that um, they need to have done, you know, all their extracurricular stuff. And I don't seem to have to worry about doing that. And I don't mind her having it. But, but you know, you like, don't need the extras. It, it's and, and you're you're and you're even calling into a, a radio station while you got a young one crying there. And doing laundry at the same time while I was waiting. It's amazing if you multitask. <laughs> Thanks for the Have call, Have a great Michelle. day, Brian. Bye. <laughs> oh, I love that one. Okay, let's go to Carolyn in Ottawa. Your thoughts on Sophie? Did you say Carolyn, Brian? Yeah. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, I just wonder, why does she need two housekeepers? She only has one they, house. They've long had two housekeepers. At, at, at 24 Sussex Drive, for whatever reason, they've had that. Jeepers, even in Downton Abbey, they only had Mrs. Hughes. <laughs> Anyway, uh, why why does she need two nannies when two of her children are in school full-time? Normally, my niece has a two-year-old, my nephew has a two-year-old, Actually, the two-year-old goes to bed three. at 6.30. Why, do they, why does she need two nannies? I think all three might be uh, in school now. I think, oh, isn't, the, isn't the little one only about two? Uh, I'm just looking that up now. Um, can't remember the names of all their children. Xavier is the oldest one. I think he's about eight or nine. Yeah. And so, and then Hadrian's the youngest. Yeah, and, Hadrian's uh, the youngest. I think he's under two. I think he's about two. So, well, if he's only two, then, uh, yeah, he was born February 28th, 2014. So he wouldn't be in school yet. So right. you're right. Two in school. Two in school. One at time. home. 
two full-time nannies. Yeah, what does the second full-time nanny do all day while uh, while the two are Well, o- obviously not housework because there's two housekeepers. Yeah, there you there's go. There's a personal assistant. There's the gardeners. Look, I, I get it. It's a busy life, and I don't begrudge the, no, the, but the not- prime minister and his family the help. But well, we have to pay for it. It is the... Um, you know, they've already added the nannies. Now she needs extra help. Let let the Liberal Party pay for it. Exactly. Thanks for the call, Carolyn. Okay. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. More of your calls on this. Nonstop ladies calling. Oh, we've got somebody saying I'm wrong about Sophie. We'll get to that in a bit. Be Lil. Back in moments. He's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh, and I guess I'm being insubordinate now. Some people just not happy with what I have to say about Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Nobody's calling in on on the issue of Miriam Monsef saying essentially that women need special help to figure out how to vote. We know... The voting rate overall, I'd love to know what it is, uh, men versus women. We do know that women uh, vote, women skew liberal, and the liberals won the last election. Obviously, they know how to vote, but Ms. Monsef says, oh, no, we've we've got to be able to reach out to people who aren't engaged. Uh, Marcel's engaged. He calling in to say I'm all wrong about Sophie. Yes, good morning. Morning. Yeah, I think you're wrong. I think, like, you and your listeners are a bunch of jealous, conservative losers. You're complaining all the time. I listened to CFRE for years and years. Never used to be like that. Now, all you do, listen to yourself. All you do is complain the liberal. Uh-huh. You lost the election. Get on with it and start living. Don't you think you... Well, I, I, I don't think you do listen to me that much, Marcel, because well, I, I don't just... I listen to com- you uh, enough, and uh, right now I, I don't listen half as I used to, because all, all the people on your I station... bet you listen twice as much. No, they're just complaining all the time. They're jealous because they lost the election. Get on with it. Uh, Marcel, let's say that uh, Stephen Harper had won, and yeah. it was Lorene Harper that wanted to add two nannies from her own personal payroll to the public payroll, yeah, yeah. and then wanted to have extra assistance to go to events and promote her husband. Would you be happy with the idea that I taxpayers should I, pay? I wouldn't mind. I pay my tax. When I pay my tax, my money, it's not mine. It's gone. It's the government. And like Clemens, you spend, you spend, the conservatives, you spend all the time. You didn't complain then. <laughs> then obviously you don't listen to me because I I, I've been complaining about them overspending since 2006. Everybody in the government overspend. You know that. That's, yeah, we, that's which, their life. That's their which life. is what that's I'm trying to stop. Okay, thanks for the call, Marcel. Uh, well, I, I, I can't figure that out. Apparently, I never complained about conservative overspending. It's like yesterday. They said I didn't complain about um, uh, conservatives and access to information. I wrote an entire book on CBC, a good chunk of it, based on how they wouldn't give out information. Anyway, Anne, you're on Beyond the News. Oh, my God. You know what that just was? That was your typical dumbass liberal voter that put in this government and that would probably support the liberals in Ontario no matter what. Most likely. He doesn't have a freaking brain in his head from what he just said. And the thing is, I'm sorry, Marcel, when you have when things are bad, you have a right 
to complain and moan and and yell. I don't like carbon taxes and cap and trade. I don't like being taxed up on my yin-yang by this liberal government in Ontario and people having to live in energy poverty in Ontario. And and, and we've got one station here plus the rebel, uh, you know, out challenging these guys. But, uh, hey, the entire... Uh, media was complaining about Stephen Harper the entire time he was in. No kidding. But the thing is, what I find this Trudeau couple, I liken them to King Louis and Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. We are entitled to our lavish whatever. And, I, I mean, she's absolutely sickening. When When I die, I want my daughter to say, I was a single mother, for heaven's sakes, and I worked full-time. I, I, I want my daughter to say, my mom was a superpower. She should have worn a cape. You know, <laughs> mom, mom had crap happen, and she just dealt. And she didn't constantly moan, oh, I can't cope with my life. And I didn't have a chef or a nanny, dear. I had to put take my daughter to daycare and go to work and try doing that someday and, and not feel guilt and bad about it. But I had no choice. It uh, it also sounds like you uh, wouldn't know how to engage in a voting system, Anne. You, you, you seem to oh uh, be the type of person God. that Minister hey, Monsef is, you, is worried you know, about. You know what? They are taking the women's liberation movement back 20 years with this kind of garbagey talk. It's stupid, and it's condescending to women to say, I mean, I know a lot, there's lots of blind, dumbass liberal guys and girls who would keep voting liberal just because they vote liberal. They, they don't care. They, they oh, yeah, I'm a liberal, I'll always vote liberal. I, I mean, I like using my brain and think about what the politician is going to do to my pocketbook, and <laughs> that's why I don't vote liberal. But the other thing I want, I wanted to say something else. Oh, oh, oh God, the I'm music running again. Out. Oh, I, I, yeah, it was about that getting rid of gas heating. Oh, that's, oh, that's a great an, thing an, they're going to do. Another time, Ann. We're yeah, running okay, out of moonlight. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. On the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Kate is calling in from Ottawa. She says uh, she supports Sophie. Hello, Kate. You're on Beyond the News. Hi. I do support Sophie. I think that, um, you know, the things I've heard this morning, all these women who've done incredible things and managed, uh, you know, their kids, their homes and everything else, that's great and, uh, and more power to them. But None of them are under scrutiny 24-7 from the press hounds who are looking for any fault. And none of them are on the international stage representing this country. I mean, there's something a little different with what Sophie has to put up with. Which is why she already has a team of 9 to 10 people. I appreciate it, and I know you disagree with me, but I think that her international presence was not something that was expected when they got elected. And it's, uh, it's probably a little overwhelming. She gets all kinds of invites, and every time her husband goes somewhere, it's a question of whether she goes to, and if she does, what does she wear, and how many engagements does she do on her own. There's there's a whole other side of things here that most of us don't have to face. And, and, I, and I understand that, which is why I, I, I haven't said she shouldn't get help. I've just mm-hmm. said, Kate, that since the main beneficiaries are not the people of Canada or the government of Canada, but her husband and his image and the image of the Liberal Party, the Liberals can pay for it. I don't. I disagree with you there because I think that the beneficiaries 
it's Canada because, you know, I was actually recently with a group of Australians and, and they said, oh, yeah, we love your prime minister. And somebody piped up, yeah, and his wife, and can't we have them? Uh, she's part of the international scene. And right now, Justin Trudeau is representing Canada on the international stage, whether we like it or not. And frankly, I do have a brain and I am able to figure things out. But, <laughs> you know, um, and I voted liberal. So, yes, but. I, I would different. never say you don't have a brain, Kate. <laughs> no, but a previous caller made some comment. Um, I think that we should recognize that Canada is becoming an international player again, like we used to be. Oh, we, we and, were an international player before, Kate. Yes, but not we to complete, the same level under the last 10 years, really. Um, we were th- th- then, off. Then, then you didn't pay attention. We, we weren't at the UN in a big way, mm-hmm. but Canada was the leader. One of the le- I mean, Stephen Harper was chairing committees. <laughs> Uh, Bank Governor Mark Carney was chairing committees mm-hmm. during the depths of the, the recession when the G20 came together to say, we're going to have a coordinated response. That was Stephen Harper and Mark Carney. Yes, I appreciate so, that. Tom. I mean, we that's, were, that, we were that's the international and... stage. Afghanistan, yeah, but... that's the international stage. Canada led the international mission in Libya, a, a mission that I disagreed with, but we were the no, leaders on I, it. I, I agree with you that Canada has still been there, but it was not to the extent well, we are now. Be, because and we weren't supporting liberal better. causes. Okay, so that, that's showing <laughs> your uh, bias. I think yeah. that Canada is becoming more active in more fields on the international stage, and I think that it's Canada who benefits. And I've traveled a lot internationally, and frankly, um, I've seen a change. All right. Thanks for the call, Kate. Okay. Bye-bye. Let's go to Sharon in Canada. Well, you know, I I did ask for ladies to call, and I think one, we've had three men on the call, on the line, one hung up, one still on, and and, uh, wow, nonstop ladies calling. How do you feel about this, Sharon? Where do you sit? Well, your last caller... Wow. Right. Just... Do you have do you have it on speakerphone, Sharon? Not at all. No? Okay. Just sounds odd. So wh- where do you sit? Are you with the last caller or are you with me? Where do you stand? With you. With you. Okay. Um, you, you think she should pay for it herself or have the liberals pay for it? Redo the job descriptions of your staff, Sophie, maybe, and include possible appearance assistance. Um, I don't want to pay for any extra help for them. Nine staff should be enough to coordinate her duties. Um, uh, uh, not everybody gets in the cover of Chatelaine either. It's a woman of the year or whatever it was. And maybe Chatelaine should kick in some money for her too. <laughs> how true that she needs to learn how to multitask like the rest of us. I can't speak for the friends of mine that have more than one child. I have two. Well, one is older with her grandson, and one is uh, late teens, and that's a whole other issue. But you've got to be able to not consider yourself as a poor me syndrome person to get by in this life. And the international stage your last caller talked about was really way out there, because what did she expect? Of course, it's going to be international stage, and this all should be doable by a staff of nine. And and, and and I'll tell you, Sharon, when she is on the international stage, and I just thought of this, it's because she's traveling with the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And at that point, not only does she have the two nannies with her, if the kids are along for the ride, but 
and her personal assistant, but there's the entire staff of the PMO that goes around, and of course they will give her support, as they should when she's on an official Government of Canada trip. So there, there is a, a, an awful lot of support there. I just say if she, if she wants more, she should pay for it herself. I agree. Thanks for the call. Let's go to uh, Lori, also calling in for, from Canada. A lot, of, a lot of ladies of Canada not happy with Sophie today, are you? No. Okay. Uh, uh, talk about your uh, entitled to your entitlements. I it, think... it, that is a good old-fashioned liberal saying, isn't it? It is. And, I mean, did he not just get elected on a big platform stating how he was going to cut benefits to the rich and they have to pay more so the middle class pay less? <laughs> Look. What happened Lori, to that? Don't, br- don't bring up facts, Lori. <laughs> what happened to that? <laughs> it's gone. You know, it's ridiculous. I, look, he, he made a big deal of giving back his universal child care benefit or giving it to charity, then turned around and stuck us with the, the bill for the nannies. Now it's let's have more help for, for his wife, who, who does not have an official role. I think mostly she's going to make her husband look good, which helps his party. Well, the hypocrisy is outrageous, and it's really uh, like it goes to the integrity of his whole campaign, really. Uh, unreal. Thanks for the call. Okay. Let's go to, let, let's take a call from a man. Norm, in the prior. You're on Beyond the News. Good day, Brian. Good day. Second man on the air today. Uh, yeah. It's a privilege have, for you. You're going to have to forgive me because I'm not used to this, okay? But anyway. Um, oh, you're just talking to me. Yeah, okay. I'm just talking to you. Um, I saw something happened a couple of weeks back in the grocery store that just, just made me so upset. I'm trying hard to be civil here. Um, I was at the uh, bakery counter, and I was looking for a loaf of bread, and this old lady came up to me. <clears throat> and uh, she asked me what the price of this loaf of bread was. So I went, and I looked, and we checked it out, and I sold her three twenty-nine. And she looked kind of startled at me, and she goes, really, it's three twenty-nine? I go, yeah, it is. She goes, oh, she says a couple of weeks ago it was only two-something. And the look on her face was disturbing because she went and she put the loaf of bread back and it's like she couldn't afford it so she had to put the loaf of bread back and this is what's wrong with the liberal party and and all these big wigs up there on the hill they don't seem to realize just how hard it is for the little people on the ground like get take that silver spoon out of your mouth open your eyes stop taking the selfies actually talk to the people listen to the people to what they're saying and do something about it, for God's sake. This is all... I, You know what? I, I, I wondered where you were going with that story, Norm, and I thought, he's, I thought he called in about Sophie. But you're right. That woman couldn't afford the loaf of bread. And here's Sophie, Sophie. Sophie could afford to pay for her own uh, assistant out of her own pocket, or she could ask the Liberal Party to pay for it. But she wants you to pay for it, and she wants that little old lady to pay for it. Exactly. And here we've got Justin Twitter running about, taking these damn pictures and everything else. This man has to realize, okay, he did not win the, the last federal election, okay? It's what, I agree with what Ann says. It's the conservatives that lost it. I swear to God, it was an anti-Harper vote. And if oh, Harper it, it was step- an organized anti-Harper vote, yeah. If Harper would have stepped down back in 2014, and we would have had a new leader in there, somebody with a little bit of charisma in class, um... And don't take anything away from Stephen Harper because I did appreciate everything the man did for us. But if he, if we, we would have been a lot closer in outcome, if not a different income. Like, holy jumping. Could, could have been, but um, 
they lost, and Justin Trudeau just happened to be rising up at the right time. Right? We almost had uh, Prime Minister Mulcair, who <laughs> wouldn't be asking for extra staff uh, and, uh, and and wouldn't have quite so many pictures of his beard out there. Thanks for the call, Mar- uh, Norm. You have a grand weekend now. You too. Let's go to Marion calling in in Ottawa. Marion, where do you stand on this? Yes. Hi, Brian. I'm actually driving from Ottawa to Cornwall, and I've been listening to you. I'm officially at work, so I'm not someone who is not familiar with running a household and working. I'm just surprised that none of your listeners raised the question of what about comparing with other women of similar positions, okay? So, I don't so want to... Like, uh, to... Michelle to, to Obama, other countries, to, yeah. it, it's hard to compare any country well, to the United about, States. Well, we we compare. Well, you need a basis. So I'm neither here nor there. It's easy for me to say, why does she need this? Why does she need that? I'm not in her shoes. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she does. Or at least take a look, detailed look at her schedule and workload. Why aren't we doing that? We just criticize one way or the other. We criticize. Harper, we criticize Trudeau, we criticize Mulcair. Well, no, people well, we are giving People are giving solutions, Marion. Pe- no, I'm. People I'm, are I'm giving not... solutions and ideas. They're not just criticizing. People have said that she can scale back, or she can pay for it herself, or she can choose. They're not just criticizing. They well, may not people... like what she is asking for, which is for the taxpayers to foot the bill. Well, the same thing, argument that your listener was saying about the old lady paying for this. We should talk about the little old lady taxpayer paying for tons of stuff that Harper spent on uh, weapons, on military expenditures. On We never talk about those. So, of course, we will talk about this. Is that uh, fair? Do, do you think that I never criticized Stephen Harper's spending? Because you can yeah. call the conservatives and ask them. Yeah, you do. But I'm saying we are so quick to jump on board when you see a younger, more attractive woman. And this happens in workplace, too, all the time. When you see a younger, more attractive woman, we are so quick to jump on board and criticize. I'm not going to get into a conversation of looks here, Marion. That's what I told callers earlier, and I'll stand by yeah, it. Thanks and, for the and call. People call. And people call and say wrong things. And we listen to that. People like your listeners, you're one of your listeners, mm-hmm. called your other listener uh, dumbass or something like that. Dumbass, dumbass liberal, your previous caller who was a dumbass. You didn't stop that. I was I, not I did, I did stop another. All. I did stop another caller that wanted to say that so, uh, Sophie wasn't attractive. I said, no, we're not no, getting no, into that. No, 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 the dumbass comment. Why didn't you stop that, Brian? Well, that's up to me, not up to you. When you get your own well, show, I'm you can listening. decide. But I'm, I'm not going to get into a conversation of, is Sophie well, better looking than Noreen? No, 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 I'm not talking about... Yeah, look, you are. You're saying she's a I'm younger, more attractive woman. And I'm, I'm saying, saying I'm not getting into that. Thanks for the call, Marion. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, where we don't discuss looks like that. Back after this. We'll try and get through all your calls, but this is a hot one. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. By the looks of it, I could take calls until 2 o'clock on this one. 
Try and get to as many of you as possible. Uh, let's go to who's waiting longest? Sharon in Bell's Corner. Sharon, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Where do you sit? Well, absolutely, we should not pay for any extra help for Sophie, and, and I think neither should the Liberal Party because knowing the Liberal Party, they probably get a tax break. Well, right? yes, yes, they do. So I don't want them paying either, and I think it's time that somebody told this woman that she does not have an official role. And the fact that she's out trying to have a contest with her husband for how many times each one of them can get their picture taken, that's not contributing to my well-being or any of my neighbors or the country or the world. Running around the world with designer dresses and him with his designer suits and seeing how many pictures he can have taken is not contributing to the world in one bit. The previous caller putting down what Harper was doing, Harper stood up in the world for, you know, for what he thought was right, right and many of us thought was right. Neither That's here nor the there on, 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 on the issue of assistance. Loreen had one, plus all the extra home help that Sophie has, other mm-hmm. than the uh, other than the nannies. Mm-hmm. And her kids were young when they moved in as That's well. That's right. So people, people forget that. But th- she should, they do. Thanks. She should pay for her own. Thanks for the call, Sharon. Let's go to Amy. Amy, go quick. Where do you stand? I have an opinion on it of being that they no regard for the public person when cash-strapped parents are asking themselves how they're going to afford to send their child or children to summer camp at an average of $200 a week. I think it's disgusting and greedy for it even allude to how popular she is and how she needs a team or an assistant. Yeah, someone just emailed me and said, uh, even charities can be political. And uh, so she's saying she has to go to all these charity events. Well, who's picking the events? Is she going to very uh, left-wing political ones like, say, Suzuki Foundation? Is she supporting... Uh, political ideology? If so, that's definitely where the party should step in and not you and I. I agree. I think that as the Obamas are also exiting public office, we're now having our own version of them, and they need their own reality show and dubbed after Keeping Up with the Kardashians called Toning Down the Trudeaus. Or Keeping Up with the Trudashians. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Even better. Let's go to Anne and Canada, and we'll try and get to Mark and uh, Carp and Serge. Go. Would that be me? Yep. Oh, okay. I have a different take on this. Um, I'm absolutely appalled. I was so irritated when I heard about that. She wanted these extra staffers. We are um, a military family. At the beginning of his term, he decided to triple the amount of troops he sent into Iraq. Mm -hmm. This is directly impacting my family. We have three children with my husband abroad constantly. Where are my staffers? I, I... um, you don't have a team of nine looking after everything paid for by the, the taxpayer, Ann? You know what? When I signed up for this, I knew what I was getting into, and I, I, I don't complain, not one day. I, and I, she, she should have as well. She should have as well. She should be embarrassed. Thanks she for the call, Ann. Thank Let, you. Mark, let's see if we can get two more. Mark, go quick. Oh, Brian, you struck a chord. You, you dared criticize St. Sophie and the, and the Trudashians. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. I mean, some of these callers calling in, we had... I mean, the the lady just before the break there. I was wondering how long it was going to take for somebody to turn it into a, a woman issue or, a, you know, a feminist issue. I mean, that was just pathetic. Uh, uh, you're the second guy or third guy on the air today? Go, go quick. Where do you stand? I'll try and get to Serge. Oh, well, maybe we should get a list from, from Sophie to see just what exactly she does need help on. And then we'll see if her uh, her team of nine or ten people currently is adequate or not. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely against this. It's an insult to, to the regular hardworking woman who is, uh, you know, working a job, two jobs just to make ends meet. So I, I think it's insulting. Th- thanks for the call. Thanks. Let's go to Serge. Last word to you, Serge. 
Hi, Brian. Uh, sunny ways, eh? Sunny ways, absolutely. Except today it's raining in the market. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. Uh, I don't think she can justify what she wants a new, new staffer. I have a business. I didn't call you for um, maybe two or three years. I don't have time. What about all those liberal people can call you? Do they work for the government or something? Like, I work for myself. I don't have time to call all the time. I listen to you all the time, but I don't have time. No, because you're busy. Yeah, but I don't understand. They don't work. They all agree. It's all the same people, all the liberals. They all work for the government. They all want free money. Oh, we're going to get a staffer. Why don't they, they donate the money for her? I'm so pissed off today. That's why I called you. I was so angry well, you, I it, said, people do you have to stop being like that if you, if you work for yourself uh, Serge then you're likely like me between the taxes you collect and the taxes you pay I feel like I should have my own uh, civil servant walking around behind me <laughs> thanks for the call yeah thank you bro. all right that wraps this topic for now lots more coming up on beyond the news I'm not sure what I'm talking about but I've got a list somewhere back in moments Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. We discussed this issue a bit yesterday with Grant LaFleche. He's a columnist with the St. Catherine Standard. Niagara Region Liberal MPP uh, Kim Crater leaving politics a couple years ago, citing mental exhaustion. Now, after the Liberals admitted that they had two members... Two MPPs who had faced sexual harassment allegations or inappropriate sexual allegations. We find out that Kim Crater's one of them, but the liberals won't say what actually happened. Crater's saying hush money was paid. And as for the other person, there's just cloud hanging out there. Now, Grant LaFleche was saying, we can't just have the liberals throw this out there and then say, take our word for it. I want to check in with Jill Bison. He's the uh, House Leader for the New Democrats and joins us on the line. For Are you in Timmins today, Jill? All the way up in Timmins. It's our uh, Northern Municipal Association meeting. Phenom. All right. Well, it's God's country up there, so. It is, but it's going to get cold tomorrow. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's cold and rainy. Ye- yesterday, it was pure patio weather in the Byward exactly. Market here. Yeah. And today, it's it's rainy and cooler, so I hear you. Living in Canada, those are the joys. Yeah, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. That's right. How uh, how are you viewing this? I mean, it, Queen's Park is your workplace. These yeah. are your colleagues. This is something that organizations, large and small, public and private, have had to deal with across the country. And I'm a bit surprised that Kathleen Wynne's attitude is one of secrecy and just trust us. On an issue like this, on others where she doesn't want committees looking at things, I get that she wants secrecy. But on an issue like this, I thought she would be all for openness. Well, it's a bit of a double standard. You know, we had the Jack McLaren situation where all of a sudden Kathleen Wynne is telling Patrick Brown, here's what you have to do. You know, you gotta you got to kick him out of caucus and you got to do this, that and the other thing. You know, and I, I, you know, who knows if that was the right thing to do? I, I can let the public judge that. But then, when they're asked questions in regards to the allegations within their own caucus, you know, they're saying, "Hey, you know, trust us." Well, you know, I didn't, I don't trust them at all. You know, I, I've watched this government operate. Uh, they're really good at saying things are one way when they're actually the other. So I think it's really a double standard that they've uh, set up. Now, the fa- 
I'm always wary of allegations of sexual harassment and the like if they are not proven. So I can understand wanting to be quiet on that front. But when you're disciplining people and they're elected officials, I think there is a, a you know, the public should know something. I think Kim Crater should be able to defend himself. Instead, he's got this cloud hanging over his head. And I think the same would happen to the other. Sometimes these allegations don't pan out. Sometimes well, it, they do, but everyone should yeah. have a chance to clear their name. Well, I think there's a couple of things here. One is is that, you know, MPPs are no different than any other person in our society. You know, we have to live by the same rules. We have to live by the same laws. And if you've done something that's inappropriate, I think, you know, there has to be a measure against that, whatever it is, depending on how serious it is and what the allegations are, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in this particular case, you've got one side of the story. You've got the Premier, uh, for whatever reason, you can draw your own conclusions, has decided to... Uh, say, well, you know, in this case, Mr. Crater did something. We're not going to say what it is and uh, trust us on it. And then says, apparently, there's a second allegation of another member doing something similar but not talking about it. So I, I think it's unfortunate because I think it, it doesn't matter if it's just Kathleen Wynne doing this as a liberal government. I think people see politicians generally in the same light. And when you see the leader of our province, in this case, uh, the Premier, Kathleen Wynne, reacting the way that she does and kind of operating in a double standard, one for Mr. Brown and one for her, uh, I, I don't think that bodes well. I think the public looks at that and just says, well, there we go again. Yeah. Well, and you guys do, uh, you do face an awful lot of scrutiny and a lot, awful yeah. lot of cynicism. And rightfully so. so and rightfully so. The, the cynicism, I think, uh, we could do with less of, but I, I think a good chunk of it is earned due to actions like this. Yeah, and I think most members, like most people who work in our workplaces across Ontario, try to do the right thing and try to behave in a way that's appropriate. And, you know, in our business, as, as elected uh, officials provincially, and it's the same federally and municipally, you know, you just always have to remember, you know, you're not only in the public eye, but more important, uh, you're, you know, people are looking to you for leadership and looking for you for example. So, you know, this stuff isn't exactly helpful, I think. Well, I'm just seeing on CTV News Ottawa that the Premier is passing new regulations that all parents that don't want to vaccinate their kids have to go to uh, re-education seminars. Uh, maybe the Premier should go to one of those herself <laughs> on different issues. I don't know. It's the old saying, physician, heal thyself. Uh, uh, <laughs> speaking with Gilles Bisson, NDP House Leader at Queen's Park. And Gilles, I want to ask you about this, the... Um, the cap-and-trade issue. Now, I know the NDP is, you know, on a, they have a different viewpoint of cap-and-trade system than mm -hmm. I do, but mm -hmm. how do you feel about the way the Liberals are bringing it in? The Ontario Chamber of Commerce has asked for a delay. They didn't say stop it. They just said, hold on, can you delay it a bit because we need time to adjust. The Liberals are saying, no, you represent a northern area riding where yeah. the, the reliance on <clears throat> whether it's home heating or being able to drive, public transit's probably not great in South Porcupine. Uh, all, all of these things add up to you being more reliant on fossil fuels. Is there a desire from northern areas to say, let's delay this as well? Let's let's make sure we get it right? Well, I think that what we want is something that is transparent, that everybody knows exactly what goes on and takes into account uh, the ability to pay. That's why we didn't support, as Mr. Brown does, the uh, the carbon tax approach. We think the carbon tax, although simple to implement, I understand that part of it, is going to whack people where it hurts. Uh, if you live in a place where you don't have public transit or you live in a place that there is public transit, uh, you're going to pay a lot more when it comes to uh, your energy uh, needs when it comes to driving and others. So we, we uh, support that there's something has to be done. We can't all ignore what's going on with our environment. We can't ignore that we need to do something to lessen our reliance on, on carbon. But 
it seems to me the approach that we're taking, which is what Peter Tabins, our critic, is pushing, is that you need to make sure that this is very transparent. Number one, that the polluter pays, and it's done in a way that's fair, that doesn't bankrupt the company. That, uh, the, at the end of the day, it's always the public that pays. Well, we do, but it's a, it's a question to what degree, because is it fair that, you know, if, if you do cap and trade in a way that all of a sudden everybody's going to have to pay a whole bunch more for gasoline or heating oil or whatever, let's not kid ourselves. I don't have a choice where I live. I have to drive my vehicle to get from point A to point B, mm-hmm. and I have to heat my house in the winter. So uh, I, I've got, I don't have any control or much control on how much of that I, energy I use. So I, I that's why think... we're saying it has, to be, it has to be, number one, transparent, and number two, it's got to be fair. It's got to be fair so that it's not those who can least afford to pay who pay the most is what normally happens. So we're just, you know, those are the amendments we want to bring forward to the legislation. Right, you look at the cap and trade and how Glenn Murray is pushing it and what we're hearing of their overall green plan and the push to have, you know, I, I did the numbers and it was almost 70 to 80% of the new cars sold over the next eight years would have to be electric. Uh, this is a plan designed for and designed by people that don't leave downtown Toronto all that often. That, that's my read of it. Well, you know, and, 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 and Glenn Murray, you know, bless him, he's, you know, he, I, I think he's, you know, he's trying to do what he thinks is right. But man, oh man, that, that, he, just has, he just has a way of saying things that don't make a lot of sense. Nobody, we're never going to be in a position in the period of time that he's talking about that all of us are going to have electric cars in our driveway. Where I live, I won't even be able to get to work. Exactly. I, I live out of Camas Scotia Lake. At, you know, it's like 70 kilometers there and back. Uh, so, you know, like I said, <laughs> designed by and for people that don't leave downtown Toronto. Well, exactly. So, you know, should we do things to reduce our need on carbon? Absolutely. Should we encourage the use of other alternative fuels such as electricity, uh, carbon cells, except, not carbon cells, but uh, fuel cells? Absolutely. I think those are good things. The question is, how do you make it affordable and how do you make it practical? In those cases that it don't, uh, I think you need to keep that in mind. And that's why we don't support the carbon tax approach, because that's one fell swoop where everybody's going to have to pay more. Well, I don't support any of it, but that's a story for another day. Jill, thanks for the time. Always a pleasure. Jill Bisson, House Leader. Coming up, uh, the uh, Lisa McLeod. I think we all know who LMAC is. She's up next. This is Beyond the News. B-Lil with LMAC. Wow, cool. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Getting into a funky groove on a Friday afternoon. So I promised you Bilo with Elmac, and uh, it's the Ron Lisa. I blame producer Dean. I'm going to smack his bald head around when I get in the control room. It's Lisa Thompson, who I've spoken to before and who had said, Fuck Lisa Thompson. He put down Lisa McLeod. I guess it is a local Ottawa thing. Who's Lisa Thompson? Well, we've spoken to her before. She's the MPP for Huron Bruce and the Ontario PC environment critic. And Lisa, I was just speaking with Jill Bisson, and he doesn't think this is uh, going to be transparent enough. That's one of your complaints that you've raised, but also the Ontario Chamber saying they need a delay. Business in the province needs a delay and is not getting it. You're absolutely right, Brian. And, uh, you know, again, the minister, Glenn Murray, disappointed me yesterday when in the House, when I asked him a question, if he was going to respect the Ontario Chamber's request to hit the pause button, he just totally ignored it. He doesn't have the numbers. He has not done a cost-benefit analysis that we've been asking for. Brian, 
quite frankly, I've been asking this government for months to produce some numbers to to give us a hint of what their cap and tax scheme is going to cost Ontarians, and they always ignore us. And it's time that this government comes clean so that people can plan and prepare for what's going to hit us starting in 2017. Why do you hate the environment, Lisa? I absolutely... And I'm throwing that out there because when I ask for sensible questions on issues that liberals bring up, and, and you're asking sensible questions, what will this cost us? How is it going to be implemented? They don't respond. They just turn around and try and claim that you hate the environment. And I've heard the premier and I've heard Glenn Murray claim that in the legislature. Do you know what? I have to just say to your listeners, don't listen to them. They are spinning. I have to tell you, I live in a farm in southwestern Ontario. And it comes that when we farm, when we pull our family together, we do a business plan every year. We have to pencil everything out. And I think every family in Ontario, to, to plan ahead for the year, to plan ahead for a vacation, to plan ahead for making sure the kids have what they need for school, you pencil out the numbers. And unfortunately, nobody can do that because this government is hiding behind a cloak of secrecy. And, you know, we hear from people like the former finance minister, Greg Sabera, where he says this liberal tax and tax scheme, it's a cap and tax, it's going to make the cost of virtually everything in our province go up. And when we ask for numbers, they said, sure, they're coming, we'll get them to you. But you know what's really worrisome? We asked time and again for numerous amendments while Bill 172, the Cap and Trade Act, uh, was in committee. And they voted down every single amendment we put forward that would bring in more accountability and more transparency as to how they're going to use all of this money they're going to grab out of our pockets. And they voted down each and every one of them. Even the finance account- or financial accountability officer, Mr. LeClaire, issued a-, a stern warning that he's increasingly becoming concerned over the lack of transparency. And just this past week, as a total slap to the financial accountability officer, they twisted his words, and he held them to account, and we we asked for an apology, you, and they just ignored that as you've well. You've got your work cut out for you. Speaking with Lisa Thompson, MPP for Huron Bruce, and also the uh, Ontario PC Environment Critic, I want to ask you quickly about these reports we've been hearing regarding the um, uh, the plan. we got about a minute left. The, the plan by Glenn Murray to throw everything in the kitchen sink into electric cars, which will kill off... Uh, you know, assembly plants in this province that are not building now and will not be building anytime in the near future electric cars. He seems to think this is something we're all going to be driving in the near future. Well, he has lost touch with reality. And um, I was at the economic luncheon where he actually insinuated Ontario's automotive makers needed to have courageous leadership. Shame on him. I, you know, I don't know how this premier can trust this minister. Glenn Murray is, you, you just don't know what he's going to say next. And he's a bit of a loose cannon. And so much so that in one hand, he says, at the economic luncheon, he admitted that the cost for Ontario families and businesses is going to go up because of their cap and tax scheme. Yet on the other hand, he hides behind a cloak of secrecy. And we just can't trust this government. They've blown so much on 
scandals and mismanagement. And to cover their tracks, they want to reach into our pockets some more. We Uh, have to stand up and say, no way. Well, keep standing up and doing that. Thanks for the time, Lisa. You're welcome. Talk to you again, Brian. Lisa McLeod, MPP4 here on Bruce. There's Lisa Lisa Thompson. I just did it again on the way out. Sorry, Lisa. (laughs) No worries. We'll talk to you again. The other half of the Lisas at Queen's Park for the PCs. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. I'll get my mouth fixed. Back in moments. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Gordon down low to Marlow in front of Pavelski. Score! And it's poked by Ward. Gets by one defenseman. Moves in. Backhander. Star! Weber gave it away. Couture moves in. Star! Couture moving in. Shoots it. Save. Rebound. Save. Star! Thornton two on one. Marlowe and Couture. Lead for Couture. Back to Marlowe. Shoot. Star! Listen to the crowd roar at SAP Center as the 10th shutout in San Jose Sharks history ends the 10th game 7. 5 nothing. The Sharks have a ticket to St. Louis for the conference final. The Sharks' fourth trip to that ground. Oh, you heard it there. A lot of scars in that Sharks game. 5 nothing last night. 5 nothing. Don't take my uh, advice on any uh, playoff picks, right, Dean? Dean Brown joins me now, play-by-play voice of the uh, Ottawa Senators. And uh, we talked on Wednesday, and I just, you know, gut feeling said, I don't know, Predators have been scrappy. I'll take them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, you know what? It, well, you know what? Uh, it's, it's, it's funny you say that, Brian. I think, I think sometimes people think that all the, uh, the insiders or those of us who live in the NHL that our predicting skills are any better. I, I think that's one of the things about this league and – you know, really, since it became a cap league and the parity in the league is so much higher, it is very hard to predict anything because, you know, all the teams really are so close. Uh, the, the difference between the best team in the league that. and the worst team in the league is not that big a difference anymore. You, you've mentioned this a few times to me, and I guess I hadn't thought about the impact of the cap. That, that just, I guess it, it, it stops someone from being able to spend, uh, spend, 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 and buy their way to, uh, to a dynasty, sure. Yeah, it, it means that you really have to uh, develop your own players. You can't basically buy them, uh, you know, when, when it's convenient for you. You know what I mean? You have to be, you have to be able to develop them yourself. And so that, that has created a scenario where we do have, I think, probably unprecedented parity in this league where, you know, this time of year, it, it really is difficult to try and sit there and tell anybody who you absolutely think is going to win the Cup because the – the teams that were absolutely the favorites to win the cup are now now all out of them. There's none of them that are even in uh, the conference finals. So you know, there's no Washington, uh, there's no there's no Anaheim, there's no Los Angeles, there's no Chicago. You know, if you if you look at all the prognosticators before the playoffs started, those were the teams. There were a few people who said San Jose would be there. There was a couple of people who thought that Pittsburgh might be able to find their way. You know. Past, uh, past Washington, but not that many. And so that just tells you about the unpredictability of this league and the parity within this league. So now we're going to have uh, the Sharks taking on St. Louis. Of course, St. Louis won in a blowout the other night as well. That was 6-1, right? Yeah. 6-1. So, uh, so there, St. Louis against uh, San Jose. Uh, mm-hmm. Two Saints, really. Tampa Bay against Pittsburgh. Uh, we're down to four. Any, do you, do you want to make predictions? Dare you make predictions? You, uh, you said Pittsburgh the other day. So let's yep. just get one on St. Louis versus San Jose. 
Well, yeah, that's that's another good one because again, you're uh, you're dealing with very different types of teams. St. Louis is a defense first team, and uh, you know that's always been the big problem they've had getting over the hump, and their hump has always been Chicago that they could defend well against them, they just couldn't outscore them, and I think that's kind of the same thing here. And I I think my I think my brain would say that it should be St. Louis. But, you know, this is this may well be the year that San Jose has finally gotten over the hump, you know, where they've been a favorite so many times in the last five to six years. And maybe this is their year. So it's, it's so hard to pick. But, uh, um, you know, it sounds a, like you're you leaning a, San Jose. Do you have a coin there? <laughs> I might have a couple. OK, I'm going to uh, you know what? Uh, just because uh, I think I should say San Jose, I'm going to say St. Louis. OK, well, but San Jose has uh, Logan Couture playing for them, former 67s player. Uh, you know, he's it, that's close to a hometown guy, and he's he's doing really well this series. So you, you don't want to go back? You don't want to reconsider? Well, Ben Bishop uh, used to play for Ottawa, and Eric Condor used to play for Ottawa. They both play for Tampa, so should I pick Tampa? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But what do you make of Couture, though, with 11 points in the series? And uh, it, it, he seems to be coming into his own. Yeah, you know, he's he's a guy, I think, that uh, had the benefit of being out in a, in a hockey market where, you know, the fans of the San Jose Sharks love their team, but it's just not as big a deal as it is in Canada or in a lot of the original six markets. So he was in a fortunate situation that he could develop as a young player without the kind of media scrutiny that you get in other places. And also, he got a chance to develop in a marketplace where there was so much attention to a couple of other forwards in Thornton and Marlowe and so much negative attention given to them because, you know, by and large, when this team has underachieved in the past, those two guys get a lot of the blame. And so the microscope has been on them so much during the early years in the NHL for Logan Couture that it's really allowed him just to play his game. He was a really good player when he got to the NHL, and he's just getting better as he gets older. And he's been part of the reason that he's been able to do that is because he's been able to be, I think, a lot of times under the radar and just worry about his game and not have all those other distractions and things pulling at him all the time. The um, Just to bring it back home a little bit, related to, to Ottawa, Ducks mm-hmm. asking uh, the Sens for permission to interview Luke Richardson. Um, yeah. do, do you think he's headed that way? Well, I really don't know where they are in their search for a new head coach and what kind of head coach they're looking for. Obviously, he's one of the candidates. You don't ask for permission to, to talk to somebody if you don't see them as a possible candidate. You know, another Ottawa connection there, Paul McLean, uh, who was the head coach here, is one of the assistants there, and uh, I'm sure he's one of the candidates as well. But one of the things with Luke is he uh, – I've never spoken to him about it, but I, I've seen uh, things written where he has said to other people that – he really doesn't have any interest in being an assistant coach in the NHL, and he's been offered several opportunities. He wants to be a head coach, or he might just take a year off. So uh, I think. Uh, now, what's I'm not his sure. position with Binghamton then? Is contracts just up, or? Well, no, his contract isn't up. It, it uh, usually most contracts run to the end of the June, uh, end of June or first of July for most coaches. Most you know players' contracts run that long as well. So. While he is not going to return, and the team knows that, and they both agreed to that, uh, he's still technically under contract until his current contract expires. So that requires any team that wants to talk to him, they have to ask permission because technically he is still a contracted employee. Okay. Uh, But he's not interested in going to anywhere where they just want another assistant. No, exactly. And he's, he's had offers to do that. Hey, you know, Luke was a great player, very talented coach. And, uh, you know, he's, he's spent some time being an assistant coach in the NHL before he went down to Binghamton to get time being a head coach. 
And now he thinks his next step is being a head coach in the NHL, and he's just got to find somebody to give him that chance, and Anaheim might be that team. All right. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, starts their series against the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight. Uh, They're going up against the Raptors. Uh, I I think there'll be some competition there just because the the Raptors are in – you know, do or die situation almost. You know, it's game yep. six, so I, yep. I think I think most of the attention of uh, Canadian sports fans will be towards that, and they'll pick up the Tampa P- Pittsburgh series later on. I would disagree. You would um, disagree? I, yeah, I, I think there's no question that uh, that basketball game is going to get big ratings. But in all the biggest games the Raptors have ever played in the history of the franchise, their ratings have never eclipsed hockey, even if it's not Canadian teams. This is still no matter. You know how many advances are made by the Raptors, and they've made many. It's been fabulous. But they're still not at the stage where they can outdraw an important hockey game, even if there's no Canadian team involved. So I would be surprised if even in, in as important a game as the Raptors are playing, I would still be surprised if they outdrew the first game of a third-round series between two hockey teams, even though obviously game one of what could be a seven-game series is certainly not a critical game. There's just more hockey fans in this country than there are basketball fans, oh, even I, if the basketball is compelling. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, there's more hockey, just like there's more hockey fans than than baseball fans. Uh, but uh, it just seems like not quite the Jays. When the Jays were were in the hunt last fall, even in Ottawa, I couldn't walk anywhere without seeing somebody yep. in a Jays cap. But there does seem to be some momentum building for people to say, "Hey, this basketball thing might be interesting." Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the one of the other things you have to uh, you know look at when you're when you're gauging things is when you're walking around, and our place is the wrong place. Our place of work is the wrong place because that's not normal, that's not usual. But there's still, you know, with as as well as things have gone and as important a game as this is for the Raptors, there's still a lot of offices where nobody even talks about it because it just doesn't register with them, which to me is is really amazing because if you look at this marketplace, the Carlton Ravens basketball program and and I don't mean to a lesser extent, but for not as long, the, Car- the Ottawa U basketball programs have been the best programs in this country. You know, And the amount of great high school basketball here is unbelievable. If you follow Tony House, one of the greatest development basketball guys in this region and in this country, and the number of all-star players that he and his program develop in eastern Ontario, it amazes me that basketball doesn't get higher ratings because this is, within Canada, I think, a basketball hotbed. So it, it does surprise me that basketball doesn't move the needle more when you get to TV ratings for the Raptors, because this is, this is a basketball marketplace. And so it, it, it does, it does surprise me. It doesn't move the needle more because by rights, as far as compelling TV goes, there's no question that tonight's Raptors game is far, far more significant than a first round or a first, the first game of a third round series of hockey. But I'll, I'll bet you. I'll bet yeah, you the well, hockey well. game still outdraws it. Well, well, we'll check in on that next week. It'll be interesting to see. Dean, great talking to you. Got to run. Have a great weekend. You too. Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News. Let's check in on a, a little business chat with John Budden. John, uh, your show is coming up at 2 o'clock Sunday, right? 
2, 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. All right. And the name of it again? Is Money Talk. Money talk. Are you going to be talking about Sophie Trudeau? I mean, it lit up the phone lines here. People upset about this. Uh, this assistant. Is there a is there a market view of it? Uh, are shares in Sophie Trudeau going up or down? It is not going to impact global markets. Okay, <laughs> it's all relative. You see, that is penny ante stuff because there are hedge fund managers. Ten hedge fund managers made twenty four billion dollars U.S., which is over thirty billion Canadian. Last year. And there are a number of government leaders around the world who steal billions. Uh, We have... We have some in this country. No, they borrow. Or or, or they waste. It's an entitlement, a benefit program. So what are you talking about this weekend on on the show? Well, I'll tell you, I haven't figured it out. And I'll tell you... You're a bit like me. I turn on the microphone and then decide, (laughs) what am I going to talk about now? Well, there are lots of things to talk about because we have these very low interest rates that keep driving the economy. This morning we heard that the American consumer is, in effect, bailing out the the U.S. economy. And it's all a function of low interest rates. And we have to pray uh, for... Low interest so rates to continue. It's consumer spending that's driving the U.S. economy right exactly. now and nothing else. The good old consumer is coming to the rescue. That, that to me, is not a sign of a strong economy, and that's our biggest trading partner. I, I mean, you always want the consumer to be a big part of it. If, if we have money in our pockets and we're spending on hard goods, on going out, whatever, that's great. But if that's the, the main driver, that, to me, says weakness. Well, what stimulates an economy is a lower currency. That's And so we've got a competitive devaluation world. And we in Canada have dropped the value of our currency by about 30 percent. Do you and, think part of that is, is government policy or Bank of Canada policy? Oh, or sure. Is it, yeah. Sure it is. Uh, Stephen Polos was at EDC. He knows about exports. You've got to discount the price of your goods. And, of course, China's been doing this for years and years. Oh, they're pros. <laughs> I, I mean, th- this, is, this is one of the issues that Donald Trump has raised. Yeah. I mean, he's not the first to raise it, but I think he's the only one talking about it on the campaign trail saying, you know, the Chinese are, are undercutting us because they, they don't value their currency properly. Exactly. And uh, Canada's economy will probably take about a year to two years to really develop the momentum coming out of this devaluation. And let's hope that the value of the Canadian dollar stays below 80 cents for a sustained period of time, because that's very important. It'll also bring back the debate about having the Turks and Caicos as part of Canada, because going anywhere else that's warm now costs more because they all deal in U.S. dollars. (laughs) That's right. So now we want the Turks and Caicos in our country so that we can... Just use Canadian dollars when we go there. Now, I'm not sure that we want Panama in our country. <laughs> and no. that's, that's uh, creating that whole Panama situation is creating a lot of problems for uh, politicians around the world. I want your take on this because I think some of it is unfair. The, you know, that your name shows up in these papers, you're assumed that you're doing something untoward, that you're doing something wrong. And in some cases, it's not. I mean, Bill Morneau, the finance minister, has uh, his company, Morneau Chappelle, has uh, subsidiaries in Delaware and the Bahamas. They're tax shelter jurisdictions. In fact, Delaware's uh, bigger than Panama for that sort of thing. Well, you're making a very good point because there are a lot of people 
who are honest about their business dealings around the world. So they're fully declared. They can have an account in Switzerland or they could have an account in Panama, but they uh, uh, relate real information to the CRA. Mm -hmm. The problem comes that if you hide a billion dollars, tuck it away uh, from your government's funds in Panama or Switzerland, that, that creates a problem. Okay. All right, so John Budden, 2 p.m. on Sunday, and the name yep. of the show again is? It is Money Talk, Money and Talk. I try to aggregate the best of the best in terms of stories from the week, and that's why I'm waiting till the close tonight, and I'll put it but together. Where are the markets at? Well, I guess we're going to find out from BNN in a moment. But Well, uh, markets are down for the past few days, but they're very volatile, and I think it's going to be uh, – uh, a slower summer and less liquidity. Yeah, we, we talked about that last week. Sell in May and go away. That's right. I want to go away now. I want, just want to go sit on a patio or at a cottage. John, great seeing you. Thank you. Take care. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Stay for the chorus. Turn it up. Secret agent man. Secret agent man. It's got a, it's got a tinge of the surf rock to it. You know what I'm saying? You a big surf rock fan, David oh, Harris? Oh, oh, always. I'm ancient enough for it. <laughs> David <laughs> Harris joining me now, director of legal research at Strategic. Insignia Strategic Research. Bingo. I'll get the name right one day. <laughs> uh, normally, I just call you David. Right? Uh, that's right. That's it. That's the identity. Uh, let's throw a couple of uh, of topics around today. I want to get to – there's a, a declassified document pointing the fingers at Saudi Arabia, low-level officials, and this dates back to 9-11. We'll get to that in a little bit. There's a tease for you. Mm. New documents, story just out. But forest fires. This has been the big story across Canada for the last – Several days. Uh, they're still raging. I mean, they're raging up in northern British Columbia. They're at the Ontario-Manitoba uh, border. They're in northern Saskatchewan. They're in Manitoba. Where else? I mean, they're, they're across the country. But the Fort Mac one was huge in terms of its effect on people. But there's also a, a national security angle to this as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course one wouldn't want to go too far on this at this instant, but uh, it is interesting both in terms of intelligence history and military history on the one hand and current contemporary terrorism concerns these days. We uh, know, for example, and no one's suggesting that this is at all necessarily relevant to the Fort McMurray situation or other fires, that some of our terrorist enemies have uh, given a lot of contemplation to the possibility of using fires, uh, major fires, triggering those kinds of fires as a form of economic and other warfare against uh, North America. It's, and- gonna, it's going to be a major hit to our economy. It's going to shut down oil production for a bit. If you happen to be in that business, it's not inconceivable. Yeah, you're into the billions of dollars of losses. And, of course, if ever 
anybody were actually responsible on a terroristic basis for this, it would certainly uh, galvanize people and cause concern. In Australia a few years ago, there were great concerns about this, though I don't believe there was anything that, that proved out as terrorism. But uh, long ago, I mean, this whole uh, possibility, that is, of disrupting forests, forestry, and uh, all kinds of major associated industries like the uh, petrochemical industry, arose. The Japanese, during the Second World War, were sending balloons aloft, and these things drifted across the Pacific. They had incendiary devices and other munitions that uh, came down in North America and Canada, actually, as well as in the United States. And there weren't many human losses. I think about six people were killed altogether, and I believe all of them in one incident, and primarily children. But um, yeah, mo- Most people don't know that part of the history, nor did they know about the... Um, uh, the uh, it, it came out of the United States, really, but there was a German-Canadian who was pushed by Germans uh, in uh, the Detroit area to carry out some attacks in and around Windsor. Yes, yes, that's right. And it was part of a very active effort on the part of Germany uh, to very frequently use uh, expatriate Americans of German background and to penetrate North America. And again, this didn't exclude Canada by any means. The uh, no, the guy just happened to be incompetent, and uh, one bomb didn't blow up, and I think one blew up at the wrong time. <laughs> Thankfully, he was incompetent. Uh, the um, We've got something uh, on the security file that is disconcerting, especially given sensitivities around the border uh, that our southern neighbors have. They have sensitivities about their southern border. Now there's been concerns raised about our northern border, their northern border with us. And now the story's out that Venezuela and Cuba are helping to facilitate travel documents for people from other countries, in particular the Middle East, that want to come to Canada or the United States. So what are they doing? Forged documents? Are they giving them, um, you know, instant Cuban status to get in here? What? Well, it seems to be a combination of these things based on the reports. As you know, one of the best weapons in the arsenal of terrorism would be a travel document, a passport, visa, or other such thing. And uh, the more closely that Cuba and Venezuela seem to be entwined and uh, intimately entwined at that, then the more this kind of risk becomes a concern because we've seen that Venezuela has increasingly maintained connections to Hezbollah and comparable terrorist organizations. And, of course, you cannot talk about Hezbollah without talking about its creator, which is, needless to say, the Iranian regime, one of the greatest sponsors, often described as the sponsor worldwide of terrorism. So uh, this looks more and more insidious and troubling, especially, too, when you consider the unreliable uh, southern U.S. border and how that's been recognized as a pretty easy sieve by which terrorists and others, including, of course, drug peddlers, can move. And then once they get into the U.S., especially if they're in an underground kind of arrangement, then how difficult would it be to get up into Canada? And once you're into Canada, you're dealing in general with more broadly liberalized refugee intake systems. And we're just looking actually now at a Canadian government that looks as though it really wants to open up even further the whole refugee standards side of things to make it easier for people to claim refugee status and get that status. So it's it's uh, very challenging at this point. I don't know if you heard this, but um, I'll have a story up on the Rebel. I wanted to talk about it earlier when we were doing the open line portion of the show, but honestly, two two hours of mostly 
angry women calling up about Sophie Trudeau. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to the story of um, you know the the refugee issue, but we've brought in twenty five thousand refugees yesterday at committee. The Conservatives asked how many are Yazidis, of course, one mm-hmm. of the groups that's facing uh, genocide and extermination. And it turns out there's nine cases. Now, at first, the official said, well, we don't track ethnic and religious origin. Mm-hmm. And then somebody said, but we have nine cases. <laughs> so out of 25,000 people, 36 to 54 from a persecuted minority group, and we're about to launch another batch of 25,000. We're not taking them, again, from persecuted minority groups. It's, it's mind-boggling. It, it really is. And one of the things that's quite fascinating, if only in a really perverse sense increasingly, is that we've known for a great many years that uh, our money, in terms of aid money or assistance in refugee causes, goes much, much further abroad than it ever would in Canada, where, of course, people who arrive in Canada in general terms get the Cadillac treatment. We're all on health care and, of course, education and welfare may be available and old age pensions and so on and so forth. So uh, a study was done, I guess it was last November, by the very respected Center for Immigration Studies, which um, said that, and they attempted to actually put a figure to how much money uh, and how much farther money could go abroad helping refugees who might remain in safe havens in the Middle East itself, where, of course, they'd be closer, one would assume, to their prevailing uh, culture, religion, language, and all the rest. And uh, I think it was asserted that uh, you could uh, support 12 people abroad for every one refugee you'd bring in. And, um, yeah, and I think it was about 64 over a five-year period, if memory serves. So uh, that raised an interesting philosophical question. I I put this when I testified before a U.S. congressional uh, committee a a few months ago. I said, might it be that we actually, those of us who, for the very best of reasons and with the best of intentions, are supporting uh, this kind of refugee intake, could it be that we actually owe apologies to the broader refugee movement internationally because we satisfy ourselves by, say, bringing in one person to Canada because we then get the feedback from that person, the gratitude and all the rest. But at the same time, we're in effect cutting off 11 other people who could have been helped and maybe in desperate straits, and I'm not even talking about the Yazidis. The the majority of the people that uh, the Immigration Department talked to when they first started asking people, do you want to come to Canada, said no because... They want to go home. The Syrian Archbishop of Aleppo, representing Mm -hmm. another persecuted minority group, said, please don't take everyone away. We want to stay. Help us stay. Uh, It's not the first time those cries have gone out, uh, but they seem to fall on deaf ears. Everyone seems to think just bring everyone to Canada is the answer. Of course, it's not because not everyone's going to come, but there is still a humanitarian crisis on the ground well, there. if I may be really crass, uh, it's uh, becoming more tempting these days. When you look at the numbers involved, as you start to talk about thousands and tens of thousands and so on. 50,000 by the end of the year, possibly. Well, you're talking about a great many votes. And we've seen at the same time that we've had this initiative, uh, a move by the new government to uh, ease up on or loosen the citizenship requirements, which would mean that a good number, presumably, of the people who've come in during the early phase of this administration will be in a position to vote, which gets you back to all the concerns that have long been expressed by immigration specialists about whether the broader immigration system, let alone the current refugee one, 
isn't uh, a vote importing mechanism. We know we lose uh, about $30 billion each and every year on immigration, notwithstanding what all of our politicians have been telling us for some years. And the suggestion, of course, is that this is a political initiative, not so much a humanitarian one. And we saw that in Britain, didn't we? I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Intelligence Files with David Harris. Back with more of The Spymaster. The Intelligence Files with David Harris. Painting up his shoe phone now to come back <laughs> into the studio and talk to me. And David, this is a fascinating story out of The Guardian mm-hmm. um, on declassified documents relating to the 9-11 Commission's interviews with Saudi officials. I, I guess these documents were dispersed to National Archives. They, they relate to the staff. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. a a blacked out part of the official report or anything. It's it's notes from the interviews and fascinating. They've got this guy who was a, a Saudi official in California the year before the 9-11 attacks and, and he was meeting with and talking to people who were considered part of the two of the hijackers support network. Yeah, this goes to the whole question we've been hearing about for some time. Should the famous 28 pages be released? These are 28 pages that were put together as the fundamental 9-11 Commission's report on the 9-11 attacks. And now, the officials always say, oh, there's <laughs> nothing concrete in there, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing to see here, don't worry about it. That's right. That's right. Now, these are not part of those 28 pages, but Correct. you think this will add fuel to the fire. Yes, and uh, if you look at some of the remarks made by people who were commissioners or were privy to the uh, report itself and therefore to the missing 28 pages, 28 pages that, uh, according to some allegations, point to major fingers in the direction at least of some Saudi officials, then you realize the relevance of the documents that have just been released. These documents, as you say, could be considered part of the background research file put together by staff and others connected to the 9-11 Commission itself. So this is uh, the supporting information, and uh, some of that information, of course, was gathered as a result of interviews. The word interrogation was used in uh, one situation of some of the people who may be of interest here. And as you were signaling... We seem, according to the allegations and according to the Guardian's detailed report, which is well worth reading, uh, to suggest that there may have been low-level Saudi government people who may have been connected, some of them quite intimately, to what were described as the support networks, at a minimum, the support networks of those involved in the 9-11 hijackings and mass murder. So well, we've got about a minute left. I want to ask you then, you know, some Saudi officials, but maybe not at the top and lower level officials, all of this, about a minute left. Is Saudi Arabia like Pakistan in that you've got people you can trust and people you can't, and they're all in the same government? I think that's what it comes to. That's what it comes to. And that's been known to be the situation for many years. Here, we start to see documented the possible truth of those allegations And you even have a connection allegedly being made to the wife of a pretty major Saudi diplomat at the time in the United States. Uh, You have a statement by one of the uh, commissioners of the 9-11 Commission itself, former Navy Secretary John F. Lehman, 
who uh, was saying that uh, there is clear evidence, according again to the Guardian report, that Saudi government employees were part of a support network for the 9-11 hijackers. So not just connected to it, linked to it, part of the support network. All right, David Harris, The Intelligence Files. Thanks so much, my friend. We'll see you soon. Okay, Brian, take care. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We go from the secret agent man to the hillbilly professor. John Robson up next. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Yesterday, the first day that we brought forward the conversation on electoral reform, the hashtag electoral reform on Twitter alone garnered nearly 12 million impressions. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your minister of democratic institutions trying to sell you on the idea of electoral reform. Why? Because it's 2016 and there's a lot of people on a hashtag. John Robson joins me now. John, I've never heard such a weak argument for changing an electoral system. Some people make good arguments. That's not one of them. Well, you'd think not. And yet the idea that we're on this constant upward path and that whatever exists now is better than whatever used to exist has a very powerful hold on the popular mind and the political mind. Everything is progress. It's change. We've got to have change. You know, what kind of change? Oh, I don't, it doesn't matter. We've got to have change. Change is always good. And uh, they think that people in the Middle Ages were so miserable. It's a wonder they didn't all kill themselves and that it, everything is just much better now. And I remember at one point, um, senior official in Tony Blair's government saying that concentration camps belong in the Middle Ages. They don't belong in the, in the modern world. He was talking about um, Serbia. I thought, does he really not know Nazism was a 20th century phenomenon? But once you start thinking that way, you lose the ability to make rational comparisons based on what would actually be good and what wouldn't. You know, next they're going to be asking us to give up breathing oxygen because that's old news. <laughs> So, but that was in response to a question from Jason Kenney about why would Canada be the only major democracy to change their voting system without going to a referendum? And she cites trending hashtags on Twitter. Well, yeah, because, uh, I mean, a referendum is old style, right? That's consulting the people through a vote. It's even, it's a simple majority vote. It's the whole thing they hate about the current system. Remember, they promised to get rid of the current system in the election without knowing what they were going to replace it with. So the NDP, at least, was in favor of proportional representation. I don't like it, but at least they knew what they wanted. The liberals wanted something they couldn't even describe, and yet they were certain it would be an improvement. That's how shallow they are. That's still where they are as they announced that uh, they're going to strike this committee. They still won't commit to what they would prefer. Instead, they say we're going to have a committee study this, and the committee will come up with the ideas. But, of course— the committee will have six out of ten members be liberals. Yeah, so which is which is because of their first past the post electoral victory. You'd think they'd be embarrassed. You'd think they'd want to set up the committee based on their new system, except they don't know what their new system is. So they need to set up the committee based on PR and STV and first past the post and MMP. There's a whole alphabet soup out there. <laughs> And then they're going to have these hearings that are going to be uh, inclusive and hear particularly the voices of those who are not customarily heard. As which include women. I, I don't now, understand women, how it includes women. The transgendered, aboriginals, blah, 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 down the list. But, uh, you know, as though those people less engaged in the political system would necessarily have better ideas for how it should be working instead of the way that it is. But here's the people I want to have heard, 
who are not very often heard, the Canadian people. That's the hope. You know, our, our Fix the Constitution project, the true, strong, and free documentary, we're going to draft a replacement constitution that must, must be put to the people in a referendum or it will have no legitimacy because you cannot change the fundamental rules without asking the people. And that wasn't done in 1982. I mean, in some sense, you know, like father, like son, there's a precedent here. If you're going to make a dramatic constitutional change, don't risk the rabble turning up their noses and turning down their thumbs at it. Sneak it past them in the dead of night. Fake consultation, bore them to death with the process, and then whammo. Uh, I, I want to play another clip from Question Period yesterday. This is Jason Kenney leading off asking about the issue of a referendum. And, and Miriam Monsif, one of the most underwhelming ministers I've seen in all my time covering Parliament. Canadians are fair-minded people, and that's why they know it's wrong for one political party to seek to impose an electoral system on this Parliament and our, and our entire country over the objections of other parties and the majority of Canadians. Now, the Liberal governments in BC, Ontario and PEI all understood this, which is why they held referenda on electoral reform. Mr. Speaker, why does this Liberal government have so much less confidence in the common sense of Canadians? Why won't this Liberal government follow their provi- the provincial precedent of a referendum on electoral reform? Yeah. The Honourable Minister of Democratic Institutions. Mr. Speaker, I appreciate the Honourable Member's desire to hear from Canadians, but I've yet to hear from him or his colleagues on how a referendum could help us hear from those who don't traditionally engage in the democratic process. Like young people, women, Indigenous persons, those with disabilities and exceptionalities, those living in the remote and rural regions of this country, we need to ensure that we use... Okay, we can fade it there. They're just going to start calling for order, and then she prattles on more. John, uh, to to hear Miriam Monsef, the only people that vote are crusty old white guys like you and I. I, I know, and it's so it, ridiculous, too, because she's saying here we can't have a referendum using traditional voting where you go into a booth and mark what you want because that's somehow unfair because people who don't vote don't vote. Um, you know, and there she stands, the Minister of the Crown, a woman. We have female premiers in this prov- in this country. You know, Kathleen Wynne, the largest province by population. She's a woman, and in fact, she's gay, and nobody cares about that. And yet, at the same time, we're being told, oh no, women are just not part of the process. And um, But she doesn't know what system she would use. How do you vote in a way that people who don't vote do vote? How do you manage to make sure that women and aboriginals outvote those nasty old wretched white men in the name of diversity, tolerance, and open-mindedness? She has no idea. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And how did they get elected? How did the liberals get their majority? Oh, because boring white men voted them in. Boo, hiss down with white men. What's that about? What about her prime minister? Isn't he a white man? Wasn't his father prime minister? Isn't she embarrassed to serve under such a pillar of the establishment? There is no way to embarrass them. I I, I don't understand it. Um, By the way, if anyone, you can support John Robson's project, uh, the uh, Strutron, you say it, John. It's Um, called True, Strong, and Free, and the website is fixtheconstitution.ca, and we would sure appreciate people supporting it because our Constitution was founded on very sound principles of individual liberty, but they are being undermined, and we need to put them back in i got to ask you this one last question on it, just so I can hear your head explode. I won't see it. But she says one of the reasons, uh, beyond Twitter, 
that we need to change is because we inherited our voting system from the 19th century. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of these sort of mindless things about, oh, we've got to have progress. That's how you wind up eating artificial sweeteners and, and putting all the kids in daycare, because in the old days, people used to eat real food and raise their own children. So it must be bad. Uh, but the fact is, yes, we did. We got a constitution similar in principle to that of the United Kingdom. At a time when government was small, about 10% of GDP, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, property rights, the right to own guns were absolutely unchallenged. This was an, an era in which governments could be small because citizens could be large. And her vision is we should have a bunch of sheep herded about by a mighty nanny state. They are unworthy to vote into existence, and therefore it must make important decisions without consulting them through the courts, through stacked hearings, using a, uh, what they call an illegitimate uh, method of election in order to force some other system upon us under which it will be impossible to vote them out, even if we are female aboriginals living in remote communities. But all of it comes back to this fatuity that there is no possibility that anything that anybody did in the past was in any way better than anything that we are doing now because we're us and they are not, <laughs> which is so arrogant and so shallow and so silly. Besides, if it's really true that the future is always better than the past, then by comparison with what's going to exist in 50 years, we're a bunch of morons. So how dare we act? I want to get your, your want to get your take on news that came out of committee yesterday, and I didn't get a chance to to play this up enough earlier today. But um, well, of course, we've had 25,000 refugees brought to Canada from the Middle East over the last several months as part of the government's refugee program. Now, they kept saying they wanted to help the most vulnerable. And to my mind, that would be Yazidis, Christians, uh, Ahmadiyya Muslims, some Shias as well, absolutely. Instead, it's been a mostly Sunni Muslim population and not the ethnic and religious minorities that are being targeted for assassination, for genocide, for ethnic cleansing because of who they are. Yesterday at the committee, you're going to hear Bob Soroya, conservative MP, uh, ask the... Uh, officials, John McCallum was there with officials, and he asks about Yazidis. Listen to the shocking answer. How many persecuted Yazidis have been guaranteed permanent resident status as part of uh, the uh, government Syrian (coughs) refugees programs? Yes, we are not able to identify refugees by ethnic origin. We don't have that data in our systems. We are dealing with a small number of Yazidi cases, and we know that there are some in particularly difficult circumstances in parts of the world that are extremely difficult for us to get to. Um, but we are working on a small number of cases at this time. I don't know if Don has more details, but the number is quite small. I, I believe it's nine cases at the moment. Nine cases. Nine cases. And, John, in a follow-up question, they found out that that's nine families, uh, and they estimate four to six. So we're talking about 36 to 54 people from one of the most persecuted groups in that region out of a total of 25,000 people that we've brought over. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, again, don't forget that this uh, the Liberals made a whole series of promises during the election campaign that they had not thought through. And they did this for a variety of reasons. One, of course, was that they were relying upon polling to tell them what would be popular rather than what would actually be practical or right. Now, but the other one is that these are people who are firmly convinced that good intentions move mountains. That as long as you mean well, virtually anything to which you turn your hand will turn out well. Whereas if you're the evil, stinking, blue troll Stephen Harper, your heart is filled with malice and everything you do will crumble in ruins. And so they didn't bother with how do we do this? Who's the most deserving? They just said, we care. Harper doesn't. He's so awful. Vote for Justin. He's so great. And people did. 
And so now, you know, how do people who vote, who supported the Liberals feel about the fate of the Yazidis? Because it's the administration that their votes put in power by giving them a parliamentary majority that is now taking this kind of blithe, oh, Yazidi, Shmizidi kind of approach to the whole thing. Just as, I mean, and, and they're fairly indifferent to the ethnic cleansing of Christians out of the Middle East in general, because we all know that Christians are bad, right? You know, the dead white male thing. Um, and so we have to be sensitive to uh, other religions and other minorities. You know, if only there were some aboriginals there, we could let them in. Um, but it is it is a kind of a, not just a selective sympathy, but just a kind of hapless lack of grasp of the details. The, the, the department officials continue to say that they can't track religious and ethnic minorities and that it would be wrong to do so. And I've quizzed them on this in background briefings. And I don't know how you can say you're going to help the most vulnerable when you won't track that information, when you're dealing with an area that is it is genocide as has been determined by the United States, by Congress, by the State Department, by the EU, by the Vatican, by the UK. All of our allies have declared it a genocide. Uh, NGOs around the world have declared it a genocide. And we say we're going to help people out of this, but we will not track their religious or ethnic origin because that would be wrong. We, and it's funny, too, because these guys go on and on. They puff themselves up like peacocks. Oh, evidence-based decision-making, evidence-based decision-making. Not like that stupid, know-nothing, obscurantist Stephen Harper. Evidence-based decision-making. Okay, well, do you have some evidence here? Oh, evidence, some evidence. We don't need to see the evidence. We're going to help the most vulnerable. Well, who are the most vulnerable? I don't know. Well, have you heard of these Yazidis? I think so, yeah. Are they the most vulnerable? I don't know. We didn't really count. Um, do you, should you? Eh, probably not. Besides, for one thing, maybe we'd find out we couldn't do much about them. I guess the idea originally was to drop warm jackets on them. We were going to rush by the MEC and then drop a bunch of things on them, and that was our, our expertise in, in um, cold-weather clothing, which, again, was, was the sort of thing that happens if you don't think about an issue or study it before revving up the old tongue and letting the honeyed words flow. Uh, we've got to take a break. Uh, just listening to John Robson, the hillbilly professor. When we come back, though, going to get John's take on Sophie Trudeau wanting another assistant. I don't think he's going to be all that outraged, but he should be, and I'll tease him if he's not. This is Beyond the News. I'm Brian Lilly. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I want to read to you the quote from Le Soleil, the Quebec City newspaper, where Sophie Trudeau said, I'd like to be everywhere, but I can't. I have three children at home and a husband who is prime minister. I need help. I need a team to help me serve the people. John Robson joins me. John, uh, what do you think of this uh, team that Sophie Trudeau needs to serve le peuple, her équipe to serve le peuple? Well, that, that was sort of a self-inflicted pie in the face, wasn't it? You know, almost anybody could have told her not to say that. And crack your pies, people. I, I like Peach particularly. I'm with her on this one. And let me tell you why. I was just looking this up. Queen Elizabeth II, Her Majesty, 90 years old, carries out 341 engagements a year. She has carried out well over 300 engagements a year, some years, including recently, even more. Prince Charles, over 500. It is a really important function of the royal family to sponsor charities, to go and give awards, to help to focus the civic commitment of the British people and Canadians and Australians and everybody else so the Queen does not take so many long flights anymore. Obviously, you need staff to do that. If the Prime Minister's wife wants to be a public figure in this wholesome sense, not getting into the partisan stuff, but instead appearing at charities, cutting ribbons, 
praising people who have served the community, doing that sort of thing. Yeah, she needs staff. I mean, the queen reads some of her own correspondence that she tells staff how she wants it. And she's not doing it all herself. She's not driving the plane. Well, um, and, and I get that. But let me interrupt. Um, as far as needing a team, she she has a, a household manager, two nannies, two housekeepers, a full kitchen staff, gardeners, driver, security detail, and a personal assistant. She has a team already. Yeah, but 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 those people. I mean, the gardener isn't going to help her go to Nanaimo and hand. No, but it frees it frees up her time. He, I mean, free, I, it frees up her time. I mean, the, the things that occupy our daily lives, she has taken care of already, and then she's got her her personal assistant. My view is that unlike the Queen, which is very much a nonpartisan position, Sophie Trudeau is the wife of the Prime Minister. Uh, is that a nonpartisan position? No, it, it, it's not. And the main beneficiary of her being out in the public lot, eye all the time is going to be Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party of Canada. So I say, let them pay for any extra assistance that she needs. It, it, it's like the First Lady of the United States. You know, is Michelle Obama a partisan figure? And in some sense, obviously, yes, she's been at Barack Obama's side since he was a very young man. She has supported his ambitions. She shares his view of the world and so on and so on. Uh, uh, but at the same time, as First Lady, she does good works, and she's not meant to go out there and say, by the way, don't vote, Demo- don't vote Republican. And, you know, people who picked on Nancy Reagan and people picked on Pat Nixon, you know, people picked on Rosalind Carter, they always do. But there is a role to be played here. And again, don't forget, yes, she does have a staff, but she also is responsible for the hospitality functions attached to the office of prime minister. And that's a lot of work. How You couldn't run 24 Sussex without it. And, and as you know, 24 Sussex is a dump. And this is not her fault. It's not Stephen Harper's well, fault. They the don't live there. For years. It they, they don't live there, though. They it live at Rideau Cottage. I know, but the same thing happens, right? It embarrasses the nation if we cannot have a proper setting for official functions taken undertaken on part of the Canadian people. And if she's going to go into events, she's got to have people who know what the event is, who's going to be there, advanced planning. It's not something one person can do. Look, I don't like the Trudeau style. Yeah, they do seem to have this Kilmanjali brioche attitude about them. But you remember when Justin Trudeau said families like mine don't need help, and then people said, oh, now he's got a nanny now that he's the prime minister. He didn't mean families like mine who have money and are the prime minister. He meant families like mine in private life. The prime ministership is different, and it's just it's attacking the wrong thing to get after them for that. We should be after him for taking all these selfies and going to events instead of actually governing. We should be after them for signing the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People without regard for what it may do to our constitutional order. There are all kinds of doofus things that he's doing that we should be mad about. But having his wife able to keep a full ceremonial schedule and be there as a mother for her kids – that's something I'm actually in favor of. And just because I don't like the liberal philosophy and I find the prime minister makes my teeth hurt doesn't mean that when his wife makes a legitimate plea for help in fulfilling a function that adds dignity to public life in Canada, that I should go after her just because I don't like her husband and find his hair annoying. <laughs> just has more style than you, John. That's all. John Robson well, is the... Know, that annoys me, but so be it. <laughs> John Robson's the hillbilly professor. Thanks for the time, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. Enjoy the weekend. You enjoy the weekend as well. Christy Cameron is up next, filling in for Evan Solomon on Ottawa Now. I'm Brian Lilly. Wraps it for the week. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.